Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 47, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I haven't had a piece of Joey Does Dessert Cheesecake in over a month. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller, and he is currently wearing one of the coolest hats to ever be made in the history of the world. And this right here, this is Joey Parisi, and he ended the football season the only way he knows how, by picking a loser. Gentlemen, how we doing? Joe, you got that dumb smirk on your face. I will start with you, my man. Standing postseason making picks. I did. Um, it's a, definitely a postseason to forget about in the rearview mirror in terms of my picks. I was just telling Aldo before we went live here that the Super Bowl was very weird because it was the first time I was just rooting for like money. I was just like any bets that I had, Frank, any bets that you had, I was just rooting for that. At the end of the day, like I didn't, I didn't like really care that the Rams won the Super Bowl. I didn't. I wasn't like upset or anything as I would have been had like Tom Brady lost the Super Bowl or something. But um, it was a very new experience because I was looking back at all the past Super Bowls of the past like decade, and I've literally wanted a team to win, a certain team to win in every single one of them except this year. I did not have uh, a very rooting interest aside from I wanted to make some money. So it was a different experience for me. So I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Frank, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. It was a really fun weekend, bonding with a lot of people, and yeah, I just me, had a good and, time overall. It was a lot of fun. Me and you did some quality bonding without yeah. Mr. JP. It was kind of sad. I missed him. I missed you. I know. I did, too. I had it a wasn't the same. Him. It wasn't the same. I couldn't go the whole Super Bowl without seeing him. So oh, I Frank, we talked, him, so. Yeah, we talked on the phone for a good like 25 minutes before yeah. the Super Bowl. Yeah, but it is it is his fault, like. He could have came with us. Like we didn't ditch him. He did. No, him. no, right. Yeah. So we got a anyone. bit. We got a bit of breaking news before we went live here. Really quick, I've been waiting to see that comment since we started. I have to give an outstanding shout out to my man Scox. He is one of the great listeners of the Barroom Network. I, I peek around a little bit. I'm not only a part of things when I'm on camera. You know, I, I peep into these shows here and there. I've tuned into Bulls 101. I love Bulls 101. Laro makes me feel such joy about basketball. It's so crazy. Like, I, I hope I do that to someone about hockey or baseball because I like getting down and nerdy with some of this stuff. And Laro really helps me do that for basketball, which I am still a learning fan, I would say. But my man Scox is in every chat. I've seen him in chats of shows that have nothing to do with us. He's not a Vinnie or Joey guy or a Frankie guy. He's a barroom guy. And I respect that. You wear the front of the, the name on the front of your jersey, not the one on the back. I'm a team guy. And so I'm looking for Scox in other chat rooms. He's there. And he was incredibly kind enough to offer me two Chicago Bulls tickets for this past weekend, their game against. Now I'm drawing a blank on who. Oh, it was the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
And the Bulls, they played like trash the whole game. And they came back and they won second half of a back-to-back. So, Scocks, I can't thank you enough for those outstanding seats. It was a lot of fun. And it's good to have listeners that care about you enough to offer you a ticket. So, we work hard on this show. And I, I am really grateful to be a part of it. And I can't thank you enough for allowing that to happen. So, um, really quick, Nick. before we get into anything, we got some breaking news. Breaking Aaron Rodgers' engagement is off. No, it's not the direction I thought you were going to yeah, go. No, that, that means Rodgers just continues with one ring. I mean, guys. I didn't know that, it was on. Oh, yeah, who's well, he engaged to? I, I'm very um, – you, you think I'm like live under a rock in terms I, of uh, – I, I forget. I forget who it was. You, you are living under a rock. There's no doubt about that. I kind of am too. You could have told me Aaron Rodgers was married with nine kids, and I would have been like, yeah, cool. <laughs> Well, yeah, I had no idea. It's funny because of the meme. Like, oh, Rogers back to only one ring. Uh, it's great stuff. It's good stuff. Well, over the weekend, we had a big event. And someone on this program backed a certain quarterback that used to play for a pretty stinky team. And it became so obvious to him that once he joined a new team or a significantly better team, that he would be able to take his career to new heights. And, of course – we will talk about that in period number one. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> Joey was Welcome to period one, where we will talk about Super Bowl LVI between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. Guys, the Rams won the Super Bowl 23 to 20. Over the Cincinnati Bengals, Cooper Cup, MVP of the game. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but it was an outstanding game all around. Before we get into the X's and O's of the football game and talking about this, talking about that, halftime this, halftime that, I want to know, did you enjoy the four-ish, five-ish hour experience of the Super Bowl as much as I did? Frank, I'll start with you on this one. It was such an entertaining Super Bowl. It is probably one of the most entertaining Super Bowls of the past decade. I mean, it, there was ups and downs for both teams. And the crazy part is, and something that doesn't always happen in a Super Bowl, is each team had the oppor- opportunity to take home the crown in the final two minutes of the game. It was it, it was anyone's game in the last two minutes. And I just it, I was super entertained by everything that happened. Joseph? Yeah, I agree. It was from for a football game point of view, like it was a great football game that literally, Frank, you said it could have gone either way, like pretty much the whole way. And it came down to, you know, some pretty uh, entertaining, an entertaining finish, especially, with, you know, the way the Rams defense was playing. So I, that's what you want in a Super Bowl, especially if you're not a fan of either team, like neither of us are where you just want to watch some good quality football with some some entertaining commercials. I wouldn't, I'm not going to say it's the best line of commercials that we saw this year, but there were some entertaining ones, and then I'm sure we'll get into the halftime show too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was an outstanding football game. There wasn't as many points as I thought there was going to be, but I'm not a person who like hates good defense, and both teams just absolutely suffocated the other team's offense's run game. Neither team was able to get a run game going in any way. And it was a lot of fun to watch. And I often say that football is an outstanding sport because even the bad teams versus the good teams, I would say 80% of all football games 
come down to whether or not the team with the ball last scores or gets stopped. Okay. I, I truly believe that 90% of football games come down to that scenario. And it did in the Super Bowl. The Bengals had a chance to take the lead with under two minutes left. Joe Burrow was given plenty of time to run the two minute drill. And Aaron Donald, the absolute stud that he is, made the game winning play on the final play of the game. It was a turnover on downs. And the Bengals fall into that category of a team that wasn't able to score on their final possession. And that ended up being the Super Bowl. The Rams took the lead, the possession right before on an outstanding pass from Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup. And the rest, as they say, is history. The Rams have a Super Bowl. Um, Sean McVay, he's been working towards this moment for a very long time. We've kind of seen the Rams over the last five or six, maybe even seven years, really build from the ground up. I mean, when they moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles, they were not in a good spot. The 49ers and the Seahawks were running that division. Even the Cardinals were still coming down from like the Larry Fitzgerald days. And, you know, they were better than the Rams, I would say, when they made that move from St. Louis to Los Angeles just a couple of years ago. And they rebranded their jerseys and they traded up to select Jared Goff. And even at the time when we thought Jared Goff would be an outstanding quarterback, like that was an outstanding move at the time. In hindsight, it didn't work out, but, you know, they, they made the best of it, obviously. But – the fact that they went all in is very interesting. But before we like really deep dive into the Rams, we got to talk about the Bengals a little bit too. I mean, coming into this season, I ranked every team that the Chicago Bears would be playing this year, and I had the Bengals second to last, only ahead of the Detroit Lions. And the Bears beat them in week two, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'm smart. The Bengals, they stink. Joe Burrow, good quarterback, but it's going to take a while. And then from that game on where the Bears beat the Bengals in week two – they took off. So I ask you, Joe, what are your thoughts on the Bengals? And, like, are you proud of them? Should they be disappointed? Like, what are you thinking about when it comes to the Bengals? I'm, I think it's they should have nothing to be disappointed about. Like, this is a, an overachieving year, in my opinion, for them. I mean, we've seen what Joe Burrow can do now in a full, healthy season from beginning to end, week one through 17. And it's remarkable. And, honestly, this team is, is – could easily be back here year after year, especially if they, you know, improve their offensive line, which to me is their biggest weak point. So I, honestly, I was super impressed with the Bengals. I think they could be right back there for years to come. Frank? Yeah, the Bengals really impressed me, especially after last season, how they kind of stunk. Joe Burrow goes down with an injury. You don't know how he's going to recover. You got this college athlete coming into the NFL, which doesn't always spell success for collegiate athletes when they make it to the big leagues. Um, but the Bengals really turned it around. I think they overperformed this year. Nobody really expected the Bengals to go to the Super Bowl. Um, so what they did was absolutely magnificent. And they did it with such a young team too. So if they could do it with such a young team now, that's got to spell success for their future going forward. Yes, you make a great point. I saw a comment from Aldo in the chat about – the offensive line they better get him help otherwise he's going to get killed so it's up to the Bengals this offseason whether or not he is going to become Andrew Luck or if he can become a Tom Brady or not Tom Brady that that's tough but like you know a Patrick Mahomes a Justin Herb like can he stay in that elite conversation Josh Allen even 
or is he going to become Andrew Luck and just get hit so much and get so hurt? And, you know, this year he stayed healthy, but I mean, he got sacked nine times by the Tennessee Titans in the AFC title game. And it wasn't the AFC title game. It was the division round. And then yesterday or two days ago, he got sacked seven Seven. times by the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, that's a lot of hitting so far early in his career. We already saw him get injured once. It's completely different from when he was at LSU and had one of the best teams in the league, you know, defending him in that sense. And when I say the league, I mean like college football. So I would really like to see the Bengals get Joe Burrow some help. They got him plenty of help in terms of weaponry, drafting Jamar Chase really high. And, you know, they got good players surrounding him. I just need to see him upright a little bit more. You can't be taking that many sacks. And I don't know if it was the difference in the Super Bowl, but the bad offensive line was the final play of the game. Donald, you know, causing him to not be able to make that completion there. So I'm very high on the Bengals. But they have a little bit of work to do, I think, before they are able to either get back to the Super Bowl. Like you said, Joe, we went into the playoffs. I called them the worst roster of any team that made the playoffs. I still stand by that. Joe Burrow and the offense, they made great plays to get to the Super Bowl. But and, – and, and when you when you call them the worst roster, I mean basically besides the quarterback. Like if you were to take the quarterback out of the equation, who has the best team – I think the Bengals would probably have been ranked last, but because they had a top three, a top five quarterback of any team that made the playoffs, that can elevate you. I think we all understand that. So it's it was a lot of fun to watch them compete this postseason. I am happy for them, but the the Rams were the better team, I think, and that's where we can kind of get into talking about the Los Angeles Rams. Joe, I'll go to you first on this one. What were your thoughts on the Rams as they won the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, the Rams, without a doubt, were, are the better team. Especially, you know, they got the better offensive line, which I, I actually believe that if you were to take an offensive line just like that, it's not necessarily the best, but take that and give it to the Bengals, the Bengals would be the better team. I just think they're one really good offensive line away from being a very elite team for years to come. But on the Rams side, I mean, as, uh, as we saw, Aldo said in the chat, o- OBJ was on his way. He was he started off hot. He had the first touchdown of the game, um, and then he goes down with that injury, and you, you just feel bad for him because like this is OBJ. We've watched him play for years now, and we're just so happy that he's here. And then he goes down with this injury. Yes, he was still impactful, but then not to mention Cooper Cup, the way he played. Like like the Rams, they just they came to play, and their top guys showed up, especially Cooper Cup. So I think the Rams, you know, did everything perfectly. The Bengals started to play better than the Rams from the second Odell Beckham Jr. went down. They started double covering Cooper Cup, and outside of the one play in the end zone where he burned Eli Apple, I would say it was a huge detriment to the Rams' offense to lose Odell Beckham Jr., which they got what they needed from him in the game and in the playoffs. So you could say that that was like a season-defining trade in the NFL this year. And, Frank, I want to know your thoughts on the Rams as a whole as well. I got to give them credit because I, you know, I wasn't high up on Matthew Stafford and the Rams for most of the season, but they proved me wrong and they're a lot better than I thought they were. So props to them. Um, I think it's even more impressive that they were able to overcome and win the Super Bowl with how many injuries they had. I mean, Odell Beckham went down and then they had to come from behind and try to win without one of their top receivers, not to mention, and not a lot of people are talking about it, but the the Rams didn't even have Robert Woods either. 
He he's not he wasn't there with injury, and he's impactful on the offensive uh, time of the field or whatever. But the fact that they were able to to win the game and come back and, like I said, play from behind without Odell Beckham, because then really you only got what you got Acres on offense with the run game or Sonny Mitchell or Sonny Michelle. And uh, you got Cooper Cup on offense. But besides that, they don't have a lot of guns they usually go to. So it, to me, it was even more impressive what they did. And you maybe you could even give it that they were at home for the second time ever. This was the second time ever that a team was hosting at home field in the Super Bowl. So they were playing on their home field at SoFi Stadium, a field that they feel comfortable playing on. So I think maybe that also helped elevated them too. They know, they know the turf. They know everything. Um, so – I don't know. I'm very impressed by the Rams and kudos to them for winning the Super Bowl. You brought up injuries. We found out today that Joe Burrow had an MCL sprain and you probably remember the play where it happened on where he was just screaming. And then Odell Beckham Jr. does have a torn ACL and he's probably going to miss a good portion of next season. It's going to be interesting to see if it's kind of devastating for him because he's a free agent who wears out. It's probably going to be a storyline going into next NFL season. Hey, who's Odell Beckham going to sign with? He's kind of lucky. He might not be able to be able to sign with a team until like week four or five. And by then, it might be obvious who the smart teams to sign with are. Maybe he goes to the Bengals. Maybe he sees that they're running away with the AFC North early in the season. Maybe a team like the Green Bay Packers throw a bunch of money at him. Maybe the Rams want him back. Um, The Rams have a lot of decisions to make based on what I think happens with Aaron Donald and Sean McVay, who have each kind of like hinted at retirement, even though they're both like on the younger side. But like McVay has mentioned going into the media side of things, you know, maybe he wants to become this show's fourth podcast host. I, I would let him. I mean, it's, it's our show, but I think the three of us would probably let him join our show if he so wanted. But I would um, go over an application. Yeah, I, I would consider him. I don't know if it's for sure, but I would consider yeah. him. Um, and then Aaron Donald with the side of like, what else does this man need to do? Aaron Donald, he might be the best defensive player ever. I'm going to take some flack for saying that. I don't care. I have statistics to prove my points. Aaron Donald in nine of his seasons, eight of them, he was selected as an all pro, meaning he was one of the very best defensive players in the NFL. He has one Super Bowl and he was an extremely impactful player in said Super Bowl. He had an appearance in another Super Bowl. Countless big game moments where this man has just become one of the best, at least at minimum, best defensive linemen of all time. Sacks after sacks, defensive player of the year after defensive player of the year. There was a point where Khalil Mack kind of like got near him at the top of the food chain, but I don't think anybody's ever touching Aaron Donald anytime soon. And between him and LT, and I'm sure there are a couple other ones that people will always bring up that are like the all-time greats. Aaron Donald's in that conversation. I mean, what do you guys think of this guy? I don't want him to retire. That would kind of stink in NFL without Aaron Donald. Frank, I know you are a pretty big fan of Aaron Donald. What do you think of this whole thing? Yeah, I, I, I love to watch him. And he's if I know if I'm a quarterback and I see Aaron Donald running at me, I'm frightened out of my mind. Um, he's just really fun to watch. And not only what he does on the field, but if you watch his reactions on the sideline, you see how engaged he is in every game. Like you saw how bad he wanted to win the Super Bowl when Matthew Stafford on third and long incomplete uh, to make it fourth down. You see him cringing on the sideline like, oh, my God, come on. They're not showing every, any other player but Aaron Donald because they know how bad he wants it. So that's what I love about him. I love watching him play on the field. I love how involved he gets in the game with emotions. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him play a few more years in the NFL. 
Yeah. And yeah, Frank, his reaction, you know, the camera went right to him after they were Super mm-hmm. Bowl champs. They're interviewing him on the sideline. He can't even get any words out. He's crying. You mm-hmm. can tell this guy just wanted to win a Super Bowl. And I am very happy that he was able to get that. And he was actually, if it wasn't going to be Cooper Cup, I was going Aaron Donald for MVP over Matthew. That was Stafford. going to be my next question. I would have voted for Aaron Donald over See, Cooper So would Cup. I. So would I. Over he Cooper had, Cup. Yeah. He had two of the seven tackles. Uh, he had four, I think he had four total tackles. And this guy, without him in that on that defense, who knows what Joe Burrow would have been able to do. So I. I'm, I would have gone with the Aaron Donald. The, or the Bengals win the Super Bowl without Aaron. I, I honestly believe that. I especially he makes he know. makes Leonard Floyd better. He makes Von Miller five years younger. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So to, he was to me their their most valuable player. But I mean, Cooper Cup was outstanding. But oh, I, okay. yeah, I think the world of Aaron Donald, and I would love to see him keep playing. Me too. Me too. Do you think you need to be obsessed with winning like that? to be as good as him. I think you need to like cry. Like you need to have that level of emotion about your sport yeah. in order you to be as good as him. Win. Yes. Yeah. Is that people, about- people say it's always about money. It's only about money in order to be that good to earn the money that Aaron Donald has earned in his career. You have to live, eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff. And you, you gotta- have to be thinking about it every single day, all day. And when you finally get it, all the emotions come out. Credit to you, Aaron Donald. It's been a pleasure to watch for all these years. Absolutely. You want to win. You got to have that mindset. Because as soon as you lose that mindset, you're not playing at your 100% best. And that's what you need to win games. Couldn't agree more. I'm a firm believer that the more competitive of a person you are, the better you are at something. I'm a firm believer that everyone I know. We've seen it with this stuff. Even doing this podcast. People always say, like, oh, this kid's just naturally good at stuff. Like, those kids who are naturally good at, like, sports or games, little games or something, you, I mean, let's look apart from the I'm actually playing the game and how bad do they want to win. If you want to win something that bad, you're going to be good at it. So I'm a firm believer that I love the way Aaron Donald plays. I think me and you and Frank are microcosms of that. Even oh, when we play our little games at family parties and stuff, you get so I want to beat your ass. Yeah. I don't care if it's worth nothing. And I love competitive spirit. I believe I have it. And I know for a fact you two have it. So I'm I'm happy for Aaron Donald. I really am. I was a little emotional watching him myself. I was happy to see him get his ring. And I did want to bring up Cooper Cup as well. I have that written down next to Aaron Donald's name on my sheet. Um, he is one of the very best receivers in the NFL right now. I don't know. And it's kind of another thing with Cooper Cup that's similar to like the Aaron Donald thing. Is he the most gifted receiver in the NFL? Can he run as fast as Hill or is he as nimble as maybe even Odell Beckham Jr.? Can he make those one-handed catches behind his head like that, like Odell Beckham Jr. can? I'm not so sure. Maybe. You know, he's a freak athlete. There's no doubt about it. I'm not shitting on him as an athletic specimen. But what I am saying is, his biggest strength to me is yards after the catch. And in order to have yards after the catch, you got to want it, man. You got to know you're taking a hit. Like a lot of the times when you get hit, you can just go down and only take the one hit. Okay, fine. Cooper couple get hit, try not to go down and then get hit again. And to me that eh, it goes back to what we were saying about Aaron Donald. This man wants it. He was crying after the game too. He looked like an emotional disaster after the game, the way he looked on his face is like he lost. And that's how much this stuff means to him. And the yards after the catch thing, I think is like a microcosm of that. And 
happy for him as well. Frank Cooper cup. Yeah. I mean, this dude is just, I don't know what they feed this guy because he is just when animal he catches, food. Animal when he food. catches the ball, I, I just don't understand. It's like trying to tackle a brick wall. And, and I don't know if agile is the right word here, but his agility on the field, like I, there was one play that stuck out to me where he caught the ball. He was running up the field, defenders running at him. He bounces off the defender, does a 360 to get out of it. And he, and it's still taking more than just that one defender to take the guy down, which is just so remarkable. I mean, this is a type of guy that can single-handedly win you football games. And he kind of proved it by having two touchdowns in the Super Bowl, which ultimately led to the uh, Los Angeles Rams winning the Super Bowl. So, I mean, he is just a beast. It's almost like he took, like, when he was a kid, he's like, okay, who do I want to be like? I want to be a combination of the most nimble wide receiver, combine it with a running back that doesn't get tackled easily. It's almost like if you were to compare him to modern day players, he's like a mix of Derrick Henry and Odell Beckham Jr. Like in one, like he just is hard to bring down and I enjoy the crap out of watching him. Joe Cooper Cup. Yeah. And Matthew Stafford clearly loves to throw to him. He had 10 targets and Cooper Cup loves to catch the ball. I mean, he's catching 80%. Um, And the thing, Frank, that's, that sticks out to me, you saying that, uh, when those guys bounce off of him, like it's hard to get this. He's not that. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. He's not that big of a guy. He's. Right. I'm looking no. right now. He's six two, two oh eight pounds. You think this guy, you know, something may be able to get him down? But it just seems like he he uses all two hundred and eight of those pounds to his advantage. Yeah. So I mean, it's just remarkable the stuff he's able to do for being, in my opinion, on the smaller side for an NFL player. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, that absolutely. sounds crazy. 6'2", 208. You think NFL players, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, 6'5", 250. Well, remember so. Matthew Stafford's all-time – I would say Cooper Cup is the second best wide receiver Matthew Stafford's ever thrown to. Do you remember who number one is? Yeah, Megatron. Yeah, that guy is – a. that's like a big NFL receiver. Like, mm-hmm. he was really big. And he's very different than Matthew Stafford, but I understand – or than Cooper Cup – but I understand why Matthew Stafford enjoyed each of them individually in their own right because Megatron, Calvin Johnson, was like a mismatch almost. Like it was like throwing a Gronk. But with Cooper Cup, it's like if you hit him in the slot or down the field, then the yards after the catch are incredible and just different types of athletic ability. So I enjoyed watching him. He did deserve to be the Super Bowl MVP. I know I said I would have voted for Aaron Donald, but sometimes like more than one person deserves it. Mm -hmm. Um, And Matthew Stafford would have been in the conversation too. He did have two interceptions. I only blamed him for the first one. The second one, I think it was absolutely not his fault in any way. And, you know, I thought all three of them had an outstanding game. They're absolutely three of the five most important players on the team. And, you know, we can lean into Matthew Stafford a little bit. Guy goes from Detroit where he was just unbelievable on a bad team. But there are a lot of people who call them Stat Padford because he liked to pad the stats late in games when there was garbage time. And, you know, to me it was obvious that you don't just throw for 4,500-plus yards a season – on a bad team by accident. I'm sorry, you just don't. It's not like there have been bad teams in the NFC North. The Vikings have always had an outstanding defense. There was a couple years where the Bears had a couple like an outstanding defense, even in some of the bad Bears years. Like 
In 2017, they had a top 10 defense. They added Khalil Mack and became a top three defense, maybe a top one defense. And then even as they were sliding down in the Matt Nagy years, they still were a formidable, hard-to-play-against defense from time to time. And Matthew Stafford, he he shined in these years. Even the Green Bay Packers were good enough to sustain having Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. And, of course, the Lions are just bad, and they have been bad, and they haven't made good coaching decisions. But he goes over to the Los Angeles Rams, who have – made it to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. It was essentially like their version of Jimmy G, right? Where like, don't turn the ball over. You're not going to be the reason we win the game, but we can win with you. But the Rams were like, wait, why do we have to settle for that? Why do we have to settle for Jared Goff? He's good enough to like win you games by five to 10 yard gains here and there, but he's never going to make that outstanding play. Let's go get Matthew Stafford and see if that pushes us over the edge. And I remember one time listening to ESPN 1000. Someone called into Cap and Company and talked about how if the 2018 Bears had Matthew Stafford, they would have won the Super Bowl. And I, it got me thinking. I'm like, if Matthew Stafford was on an elite team like that, he could win the Super Bowl. So I'm going to ask you, Joe, did Matthew Stafford maybe solidify himself as a Hall of Famer or at very least prove that he was an elite quarterback for all these years and it wasn't just – had Stafford? I mean, he definitely proved it to me. I remember like a, a, about a month ago, maybe a couple months ago, we were talking about him. You brought up, you know, his 4,000 plus yards and like nine of his 11 years with Detroit or something crazy like that. And it was, I kind of just brushed that aside. But I guess, yeah, after looking at this postseason with the Rams and, you know, him being 0-3 in his career over in Detroit, but looking at his individual stats, seeing how good they are, um, you really can't argue against that Matthew Stafford was just a good team away from being a Super Bowl champion. And that's exactly what he is. So yeah, I completely agree that he it changed my opinion of Matthew Stafford. I actually do believe now he is one of the great quarterbacks that I'll go ahead and say we kind of got screwed for the majority of his career because he was on a, such a shithole team. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big Matthew Stafford believer now. And real quick before Frankie goes, um, I wanted to ask Frankie. So I don't know if he saw this, the over-under for his total yards in the Super Bowl was set at 281 and a half yards. Do you know how many he finished with in the Super Bowl? Don't say 280 or 282. Probably like 250. 283. I was yeah. baffled that it was that close to the over-under. And I was, I was kind of baffled that that was the over-under, was 281 and a half, because – in his previous two playoff games, he threw for 337 against the 49ers and 366 against the Buccaneers. And they set his over under at 281, and it goes over by two points. Just remarkable. And that includes rushing yards. No, right? I think that's passing. I don't uh, know. It's just passing yards? I think not that's, just yards? Passing, that's just passing yards. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Um, yeah, Matthew Stafford and Eminem being in the halftime show. Closest thing Detroit will get to the Super Bowl. Frank, your thoughts on Matthew Stafford? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of changed my opinion on, of, on him a little bit. He, he definitely impressed me. Um, being on a, a different team definitely helped him. As far as solidifying him in the Hall of Fame, I don't know yet. I would still say not right now because I think for a Hall of Fame career, you got to take in con- into consideration what you have done for your whole career. And being on the Lions might have hurt him a little bit. I know he had great seasons with the, the amount of yards he's thrown and he had great offensive uh, seasons, according to the statistics, but that might have hurt him right now for the to be in the Hall of Fame. And we also got to see how he does going forward in his career. Was this a one-off? We don't know. 
Um, only time will tell on that. Yeah, I I would vote for him because I would like only because I know Phil Rivers is going to make it, and he was the same thing. Bad team, bad Chargers, awesome, outstanding yards. Same thing with Eli Manning. Those guys are going to go to the Hall of Fame. So basically Matt Stafford is like the next generation of that. And then the quarterback on the other side, Joe Burrow. I mean, we watched Joe Burrow play for LSU. He was outstanding there, won the national championship, the Heisman Trophy. And then he comes to the NFL, and he's elite right away. And he gets hurt, and it's like, okay, well, he's an elite player. Is he going to ever be on the field? Okay, we'll see. Comes in this year, rocky start. Rocky start. He threw more interceptions in that game against the Chicago Bears alone than he did the entire previous year. Now, I know he only played eight weeks the prior year, but the same number of interceptions in one week as opposed to eight weeks the year before, it's like, uh uh-oh, sophomore slumping coming for Joey Burrow. He goes, no, 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 not today. I'm going to be the team that you all think is going to come in last place. I thought the Bengals would be in last place of the AFC North. And lo and behold, they won the whole thing. They won the division, and then they make it to the playoffs. I picked them to win in the first and second round, but in the third round is when things got a little hairy for them, and they're playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. And Joe Burrow says Patrick Mahomes? Okay, maybe Patrick Mahomes is a little bit more talented than Joey Burrow. But Joey Burrow knows how to win just as well as Patrick Mahomes does. I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes doesn't. He certainly does. He's got a Super Bowl, two a- four AFC championship appearances. Talk to me in 10 years about Patrick Mahomes' career. But Joey Burrow's right there. He's right there. He's one of the five best young quarterbacks in the NFL now. When I think of naming the best guys in the league, now that Tom's retired and Rodgers and Russell Wilson are the only ones like in the middle now, you think of Mahomes and Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson's outstanding. If Deshaun Watson ever plays again, he's absolutely in that conversation. Hopefully Justin Fields gets there. Joey Burrow's right there, Justin Herbert. Frank, I'll start with you on this one. Is Joe Burrow one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL, according to you? Um, he could be up there. I mean, now that we've seen a lot of retiring, Tom Brady retired, uh, Ben Roethlisberger is retiring. We don't know the status on Aaron Rodgers. If he's going to go, I don't think he'll retire. Uh, he might stay with Green Bay. But, yeah, I'd have to say I think he is because, I mean, top five is, you know, that could be debated for – Days and days and days. You got Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, um, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So it's just uh, top five. He, Kyler he, Murray. He, he's in the uh, Kyler Murray. So he, if anything, he'd be on the bottom five because I think there are a lot of other quarterbacks that just because they didn't make it to the Super Bowl aren't talked about a lot. I do think Josh Allen's is one of the best quarterback in the league. But just because he didn't make it to the Super Bowl doesn't mean he's not in the top five. He's definitely in the top yeah, five. Well, he yeah. lost an epic game to probably number one. So if anything, I'd say, yeah, I would consider him to be in the top five, but he would definitely be on the bottom half of the bottom five. He's not a top two, top three. He's either four or five, if anything. I do believe there comes a time where we, where like Herbert and Burrow are considered underrated because they should probably be considered the second and third best quarterback in the NFL. But people are going to have a hard time letting go of Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers as they age a little bit. You know, Russell Wilson was hurt. I still think going into last year, I would have told you he was the second best in the NFL. But like Tom Brady, he's, uh, is he really gone? Uh, that's just a conversation for a different day. But I have to ask you, now that we talked about some of the prominent players on each team, 
who is most likely to return to the Super Bowl as soon as next year? Joe. The Cincinnati Bengals. I think without a doubt. And I, I didn't really chime in on the whole Joe Burrow thing. I, I do think Joe Burrow is a top five quarterback. He didn't ask me. He just kind of skipped me. <laughs> but, um, yes, the Bengals. 100%. Talk about Joe Burrow. Why? Why is he a top five quarterback? I think Why are the Bengals has, most likely to be back? Tie your answers in together. I think that Joe Burrow has everything it takes to be a top, if not the best, quarterback in the league. He's got the off-field swagger. He's got a, a bona fide target in Jamar Chase that is going to be with him that he loves to throw to. You got Jamar Chase making these one-handed grabs. Um, you look at some of Joe Burrow's numbers in the regular season. He played, what, four games last year? This You say this is like his sophomore year, but this is almost like his rookie year part two that no one's really even talking about. I think Joe Burrow is quickly, maybe even right now, you said he's him and uh, Justin Herbert are going to be underrated quarterbacks for the next few years. I think already right now, Joe Burrow is underrated because I actually believe he could be number one or two in this league in short order. I think that highly of Joe Burrow. I like that you call him Joey Burrow, too. It makes me think of me. It's his Twitter handle. Do you – um, so you believe the Bengals will be back soon? Oh, I think the Bengals will be back, and I think they'll be a threat to be back year after year because they have one job this offseason, and it's to fix that offensive line. Joe Burrow, he didn't throw one interception. Not one. He threw for two uh, – what did I just had it? Uh, 300 or 263 yards with a 66.7 completion percentage. Sacked seven times. If you take away those seven sacks or even lower it to one or two, maybe even three – who knows what Joe Burrow would have been able to do in this football game? You fix that offensive line, the Bengals are one of the da- most dangerous teams in the NFL. Frank, most likely to be back? I'm basing my answer based on you said who will be most likely to be, at, be back as soon as next year. And I'm also just going to assume, just for this conversation, that both rosters would stay the same. O- OBJ comes back from injury. He stays on the team. Stafford stays. Cup obviously, and we know Joe Burrow's not going anywhere. He's going to be on the Bengals, and Jamar Chase is going to be there with him. I'm going to go with the Rams just because I still think the Bengals are still a little too young right now. I think Joe Burrow's got time to evolve, get better than even what he's at right now and and, and improve his game in many ways. Um, I think the uh, Bengals overperformed this year. I would say give it about three to five years, and then the Bengals are going to be one of those teams. Super Bowl contenders, Joe Burrow's going to have his time to shine. But if given both of these rosters, nothing changed. Aaron Donald comes back. I, I would say the Rams have the better of the two chance to win the Super Bowl and make it another appearance next year. I didn't want to interrupt you, but they're not going to be the same rosters. The yeah, Rams, and I, the Rams have so many free agents and so many guys. Yeah, I understand. That, I'm just saying they're right going to lose a lot just, of guys. I'm just going based off these two rosters right now because we don't know what's going to happen. They might pick up. If, if Rodgers leaves Green Bay and doesn't go with Rodgers, I know Devontae Adams doesn't want to stay in Green Bay. What if he goes to the Rams? Well, now it's a different story. If they lose LBJ but get Adams or, or something of that magnitude. So you never know. So just based on what we see right now, and I, I do think the Rams or the Bengals are too youngs. And if they don't fix the, the offensive line, I'm going to give it to the Rams. I'm going Bengals because I don't think the Rams are going to be any good at all next year. I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs. Um, I like – the 49ers are probably going to be better if Trey Lance really hits. The only thing, Russell Wilson, if he leaves Seattle, then I think the Rams will be better than them. But the Cardinals are coming up. Nobody in the NFC North, really, or yeah, AFC North really scares me. 
in terms of threatening the Bengals because the Steelers need a quarterback, the Bengals or the Browns need a quarterback, and the Ravens are always like hanging around. The Ravens are always pretty good, but I think the world of Joe Burrow. I don't know what's going to happen with Matthew Stafford. I know the Rams are up against the cap and they're going to need to pay some guys, and some guys are going to leave, and Von Miller's gone. And we don't know what's going to happen with guys like Leonard Floyd or Odell Beckham Jr. So I'm not sure that they're going to return even close to the same form that they were this year. But if they have Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford, they have a chance. Because I also said if Russell Wilson leaves Seattle, the final elite coach quarterback duo in the NFC will be McVay and Stafford. So we'll see what happens there. If that's the case, then I think they'll have a chance next year in the long term which I didn't ask you about the long-term. I'm just saying it. I think the Bengals are certainly more likely to be a good team in the long-term. I actually think the Rams might be pretty good next year. They also might not, but I think they will be bums in short order because they haven't had a first-round pick in like five years, and they don't have another one until 2025. So they're going to go another like two or three drafts without a first-round pick unless they trade back in. So – they pushed their when people said they pushed their chips all in to win the Super Bowl this year, they did. And luckily they did. Cause sometimes when we see teams make trades like that, give up first round picks for guys like Matthew Stafford and uh Odell Beckham Jr. and give a second and a third for Von Miller and signing all these guys to like big money contracts. Aaron Donald makes a fair amount of money. Getting Leonard Floyd from the Bears. There's there's a lot of work to be done for that team in order to sustain success unless they decide to tear it all down, knowing they don't have a couple first-round picks for a while. I would probably, if I were them, I would probably try to win until that 25 season and when you start getting your first-round picks back, but they're not getting any younger where the Bengals are like right there at the start of their peak. And the only issue with the Bengals – and I'm being dead serious about this, is the conference they play in. The road to the Super Bowl in the NFC, who is it going into next year? I mean, the Cardinals, sure. Wherever Aaron Rodgers goes, if it's an AFC, NFC team, the Packers, the Bears ain't doing anything. Are you scared of the Cowboys? Uh, there's not another team in the NFC East that I'm scared of. Yeah. Tom Brady's gone from um, – Tampa, if I'm a team like um, the uh, New Orleans Saints, who have been great at building from the ground up for a long time, they might become a power again with how weak the NFC has been. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to how that's going to go next year, whereas the Bengals, they have the Chiefs, the Bills, the Patriots are back. You know, there, there are so many obstacles for them. So I definitely see both sides of the argument for next year. But I think we can all agree that in the long term, Joey Burrow's team is going to be outstanding for a long time. Yeah, that's not even I don't even think up for discussion. Yeah. Like no, They will not. definitely be the long they will be the better team overall. Yeah. But I do think next year there is a chance that the Rams could be good and, and make a Super Bowl run. Sure. But, but in five years. They, it will be like apples and oranges. It'll yeah, be like the Bengals are at the top of the totem pole, and the uh, the Rams total pole will be like in flames. The Rams will go back to St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll be bad. What was your favorite part of the Super Bowl that had nothing to do with the game, Frank? Um. Well, see, I didn't know. Nah, he's cheesing. Like, he's cheesing. Like, <laughs> like did, does halftime count? Because yeah. Like, 
but that has to do with the game. No, like, it doesn't. So I don't know. I yeah, it has absolutely like, nothing to do with the game. Yeah, but I thought you meant like completely like like the food we ate, like that was good. Like I you can say good. stuff like that. No, no, no. It which it was the food and the variety of food we ate was just outstanding. But I gotta admit, I enjoyed the halftime show more than I thought I would. And I think a lot of people who were expecting a great halftime show were like, and eh, they were a little disappointed with it. And I think that's part of the reason because it was a little too short, in my opinion. Like there were only six songs sung, and I we only heard one song from Eminem, but. The halftime show for me, I was like cheesing the whole time. I was really vibing the whole halftime show. I did not think I was going to like it. So the fact that I was sitting there and I thoroughly enjoyed every second of that halftime show and each one of the performers. Yeah, I I would say that. Joe? Yeah, Frank, I agree. I was looking forward to this uh, halftime show so much. I was just so disappointed when it ended because it's like I didn't even really see. I saw I saw, you know, 50 Cent. I thought that was awesome. Him coming in uh, it wasn't really talked about. I didn't know he was going to be there. I don't I mean, I live under a rock, as we said earlier. But um, Nobody knew I'm, 50 Cent was going to be there. Yeah, he was – okay, he was like the, the random guest that like a lot of times uh, halftime performers bring out. But it fit perfectly. I thought it was a great uh, – I guess, what would you call that when there's six people on a stage? Because it's like a trio, but six of them. Two trios. <laughs> uh, yeah, two trios. Um I, but I would have loved to see more. I wanted to see, like, you know, Eminem, you know, go into another song. But the way they led into each song, I was cheesing the whole time, too. I, I really enjoyed it. I just wish it was longer. So that's got to be my answer, too, alongside some some phenomenal food that I had. What it did was, you guys eat? It was – well, it was funny, though, before I get to that. Like, I was like, who's hanging upside down? <laughs> <laughs> who's that fat guy? I was, yeah, I saw one thing. It was, like, uh, 50 cents now, a full dollar. <laughs> <laughs> he was hanging upside down, and I'm like, what? I love anyone who like rips on 50 Cent for being a little heavier than he was 20 years ago, as if the person critiquing 50 Cent is also a little heavier than they were 20 years ago. Like, shut up. Shut the hell up. I like the Super Bowl halftime show, too. That was definitely my favorite part of the non-football game. I love music. And, Joe, you know that we've been fans of Eminem and Snoop Dogg for a long time, coming into my own on Dr. Dre over the last couple years. But Snoop Dogg and Eminem have been a big part of our fandom of sports and music for a long time. Um, I remember when Recovery came out. It was like my favorite album on planet Earth. And then my favorite band, Event Sevenfold, is the one that booted Recovery off of the Billboard number one. And like it was just so cool because those are like two of my – 10 favorite artists of all time just competing for the number one spot on the the chart there, the Billboard Top 200 number one. But I, I love seeing 50 Cent come out because Indie Club is like an – it's a recognizable song. Everybody's heard of it. And I, I thought it was a great show. It was short. Of course it's going to be short. They got to come out and play the second half of the Super Bowl. But I, I enjoyed it a lot. The food, magnificent. I ate some outstanding – Meatball sandwiches made by Mr. The King Bean himself. Outstanding stuff there. Those were so good. Bean cooking? He's cooking when I'm not there? What? And then G made these meatball subs. They were were fire. They were outstanding. I toot my own horn, but they were really good. And then another batch came out of the oven, and I grabbed one. And I went up to Frankie. I was like, I don't know if anyone else got their first one yet, but I don't care. I am having a second. And guess what? I had a second before a bunch of people had their first. So 
One more thing about the halftime show. I want to hear Frankie's, like, I, I want to try to get this raw. I want you to explain your raw reaction. And I know you had a prop bet in about, you know, <laughs> some of these guys wearing sunglasses. You needed two of the five people to be wearing sunglasses. So we'll just go ahead and cross off Snoop Dogg. Oh, we yeah, knew he was going to be wearing them. Yeah. How, what was, what was your reaction? Take me through it, Ben. I don't know if you saw Frankie, if you were watching him. What was your reaction when you saw Kendrick? Was it Kendrick who had the sunglasses on? Yeah. Kendrick Lamar. What was that reaction well, when he when he shows up and you so, see some shades? So, so going into it, right, here's my thought process. Like we said, it's Snoop Dogg's guarantee. You don't see him not without well, he would, he would wear. Often. He I mean, would I wear them to his mom's funeral. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I mean, I've seen him, pictures of him and seen him without sunglasses, but I would say 95% of his life he's wearing sunglasses. So that's a guarantee, right? And that, that's actually the favorite. One was the favorite. But in my head, I'm like, the other three guys are definitely not going to wear sunglasses. So I crossed off Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, and uh, who was the Eminem. other one? Eminem. Eminem. No, Eminem. Eminem. You Mary J. Blige? Yeah, no, Mary I didn't J. cross her out, though. Oh. So, she, so, so here's, here's my thought process on that. So I was like, she'll, she probably wouldn't wear sunglasses, right? So I'm looking through, like, old videos, and I'm like, well – She's worn sunglasses like 30% of the time. Yeah, she's like, worn so some sunglasses in her day. There's possibility. And then I found find out that her recent album that just came out, or her most re- – I don't know if it just came out, but her most recent album has to do with sunglasses. So I'm like, oh, well, wait a second. Now there's a chance that she might wear them. So I call up my brother. And I'm like, do you think Mary J. Blige would wear sunglasses? <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, I definitely think she would wear sunglasses. I'm like, really? I go, I don't really think she would, especially like for the Super Bowl. She might want to be in like a nice outfit and not have any sunglasses on. But then we thought about it and said, well, let's just take a shot in the dark. We'll go with two sunglasses. We'll see if it pans out. She comes on first before <laughs> uh, Kendrick Lamar. And she doesn't have sunglasses on. And I'm bent. Yeah, meanwhile, meanwhile, I'm not watching you with Frankie, but I was rooting for his prop bets as if they were my own. And I saw her come out, Frank, and I kid you not, because everyone who I was with, they knew about your bets. Because I was like, all right, we're rooting for two sunglasses here. And then when Snoop comes out, I was like, what, what color are they? What's the shade of those yeah, lenses? Yeah. That's a different story. Um, but then Mary J comes out, and I'm like, fuck. I know. <laughs> so, I was like, so that's my reaction. So let me hear, continue. So I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, dude, I'm pissed. I'm depressed. I'm like, there's no shot because we haven't seen Eminem yet. He's not going to wear sunglasses. I've never seen this dude wear sunglasses. I'm like, Kendrick Lamar. And uh, why do I keep forgetting the other one? Kendrick Lamar and Dr. Dre. I'm like, Dr. Dre's not going to wear sunglasses. He doesn't do that. And sure as shit, they pan. We got the bird eye view of all those little boxes. And here comes Kendrick Lamar. He was, in like, he was in like a group of people. There were like dancers around him. And, and you were able jaw, to see only his face with the sunglasses. My jaw hit the floor. I go, this guy's wearing sunglasses. And then I get a text from JP himself. <laughs> sunglasses with exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. And I, I mean, it's just, it was a great experience. And that's I, another, another reason why I think I enjoyed halftime so much. Cause there was just so much going on and so many different emotions. It was incredible. Frank, when he, when they showed Kendrick Lamar, I'll give you my point of view now. <laughs> we were, I was bummed. We were all bummed. Mary J didn't have him on. All of a sudden you see Kendrick wearing sunglasses. Everyone I was with looked at me <laughs> and we all started cheering sunglasses. I grabbed my phone and I texted you in all caps right away. So that was from my point of view, the whole sunglasses thing. I loved it. It was incredible. You made my halftime show that much better with your prop best. <laughs>
<laughs> it just adds so much to it that like it makes everything about the game fun. So I was absolutely very much interested in the halftime show. Did you guys we talked about the prop head about Snoop Dogg smoking some Janga on the stage, right? We talked about that. Did we talk about that last week? I did with you by Jamie, but I don't think we did on the podcast. I didn't hear about that. There was a prop bet bet about Snoop Dogg smoking some weed on stage, whether or not you think he will. And me and Frankie both agreed no, just because, like, Snoop Dogg, yeah, he's Mr. Weed himself, but, like, is he going to smoke on stage, on the Super Bowl, on Channel 5? We both agreed no. And we were right. He did not smoke weed on stage. But then this video came out, and I don't. I think Joey saw it. Oh yeah, of him just taking a couple tokes right before heading on stage. You could tell so you missed the prop bet by like thirty seconds. Yeah, but you knew he wasn't going to do it on stage. Yeah, yeah. He, he had his ganja guy ready to go. He he has a guy for it. It seems like, and he was just ready to be ripped on stage, singing with Dr. Dre. Bah, bah. Bam, 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 bam. Smoke weed every day. I don't know. If, I don't know how anyone could be surprised at that. Like there are people who yeah. are looking at. Like to me, that's normal. And and during the Super Bowl, I don't know if anyone was saying this by you guys. Were people saying like, I bet you Snoop Dogg's ripped out of his mind? Like no shit, he's he's high. Like that's yeah. Snoop Dogg. I got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he does. So when I saw that video of him, you know, hitting taking a couple of hits before the the show, I was like, I'm glad. I'm happy I see that because now I know for a fact Snoop Dogg was in his natural form, and that's what makes Snoop Dogg great. Absolutely. It wouldn't be Snoop Dogg if he didn't do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Would you smoke with Snoop Dogg? Hundred percent, without question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. Who wouldn't even have to ask me twice? Yeah. What Frank are you most looking forward to with the 2022 NFL season? I know the season just ended, but I'm actually really looking forward to it. I'm going to snort the 22 season. I, <laughs> I'm i so fucking excited. I think the biggest it. question I'm looking for, like, I just want to know the answer now because it's killing me, is who's going to be the quarterback in Pittsburgh? Are we going to get some young gun takeover and Pittsburgh? Mitch. Nation? Mitchy or, Mitch. Or are we going to get a veteran or some sort come there? Like, imagine if Rodgers went to Pittsburgh. Mitch. I'd be a big Aaron Rodgers guy then. Mitchy Mitch. I hope not, dude. <laughs> I hope not. I hope he does. And I hope he becomes a Hall of Famer. Mitchy yeah, I, Mitch. I mean, that'd, that'd be great if they could. But I just, I don't know. We have, we have Mitch ahead of Watson in our quarterback rankings next season. Mm-hmm. That would be outstanding. Joseph, the first I mean, this, season of ours without Tom Brady. Yeah, it's a new era, a new era in football for sure. I'm just going to go ahead and assume Tom Brady is done. I I really believe he is. Um, and not only is it a new era in football for me, it's a new era, and this is going to sound chalk, new era in Patriots football because, like, we saw how great Mac Jones was in the second half of his season. I'm looking to see, okay, what can he do maybe a full year now under his belt Mac Jones, Bill Belichick, what can the Patriots do? Where can they go from here? I want to see the Patriots back in the Super Bowl. So that's kind of my focus. But also, it's my quarterbacks around the league. Frank, your dad, he always gives me shit because every team, he I always say, this is my team, my quarterback. I was talking about the Chargers, oh, but my Chargers, my Cardinals, and my Patriots. He gives me shit all the time. Shout out you, Babu. Um, so I'm it'll all- be my AFC. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to also not only Mac Jones, but all of those other quarterbacks that I watch and root for 
thanks to fantasy over the years. And I'll just go ahead and throw out Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Mac Jones. Like those are some of the now Joe Burrow. I'm a huge Joe Burrow fan now. Um, seeing those quarterbacks continue to progress and become the new up and coming wave of talent. So that's what I'm most excited for. Frank? I gave mine already. Oh, yeah. You said about the Steelers quarterback. Well, go again. Pick Scott, something else. Scott's got to better watch his mouth over there. I don't want it to come true. Mitch. <laughs> Mitchy Mitch. Rise and shine, buddy. You're heading to Pittsburgh. I am excited to see the different quarterback movement around the league. I think Deshaun Watson, if cleared of his legality issues, will be moved. I believe Aaron Rodgers will be moving. Um, the Indianapolis Colts are going to keep Carson Wentz probably, but we'll see if they have a chance to upgrade to someone like Aaron Rodgers. I don't think they would hesitate. Kyler Murray seems to hate the Arizona Cardinals right now. He deleted anything and everything that has to do with them on all his social media and took their name out of his bios on everything. So we'll see if Kyler Murray demands a trade. Where's Russell Wilson going to go? Is Matthew Stafford's future up for debate? I mean, the quarterback movement is the key to our NFL. It's what makes the league fun. And I'm also looking forward to updating this little bad boy right here. It's a list I have on my phone. It's my banned from liking the New England Patriots list. I can't wait to add a bunch of idiots to this list. And it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of be fully back in on the Patriots too because I was rooting for Tom. I, I don't care what anyone says. I was unapologetically rooting for Tom no matter what, no matter who he was playing. I love Tom. He's gone now. I want to see Justin Fields take the next step. This moron Matt Eberflus, I'm starting to – I don't know if I like him yet or not. We'll see. I saw Ryan Poles at the Bulls game. He was sitting there in a press box. I'm excited to see what he can try and do with the Chicago Bears. As of right now, the thing I'm looking forward to most is the NFL draft. It's the first time in a while where we're not going in just dominated by quarterback conversation. Nobody's thinking about any of the top quarterbacks coming out of this year's draft impacting the NFL. Now, someone will. There will be a quarterback drafted that will start games in the NFL and be pretty good. There's no doubt in my mind about it. It happens all the time. Russell Wilson was a third rounder. Uh, Tom Brady was a sixth rounder. You know, I know Patrick Mahomes was a first rounder, but he fell. He wasn't like he was the second quarterback taken in the draft. Like Trubisky went first. Josh Allen was like the fourth quarterback taken in his draft. There was still a first round pick, but like Josh Rosen went ahead of him. Like what? But it Baker Mayfield was the first overall pick. Josh Allen's world's better than Baker Mayfield. So it's going to be interesting to see with me and that. I want to see the Bears take a step as an organization. They might not take a step in terms of wins and losses, but I want to be happy with how the 22 season went for the Bears. So I'm looking forward to seeing it and adding more clowns to my band from liking the New England Patriots list. Yeah, and Vin, uh, something you mentioned about the quarterbacks and the draft and everything, I heard, I don't know who said it or – I don't know if it was – I don't know, like, who does, like, predictions on the draft. But it uh, it's, it's it's either – you probably either heard Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper Jr. It was, a, it was a reputable source. Okay. And they said that there is no quarterback coming out of college that is worth drafting this year in the first round. Yeah. With 
to me, that just that news to me is like mind blowing because you look at all the top quarterbacks who have come in the first round recently. And I thought there are some pretty decent quarterbacks in college this year. And the fact that none of them are worth taking in the first round, that kind of just blew my mind. Yeah. Like, is Bryce Young even entering the draft? I don't think no, he I don't is. think so. But so if like, he was, he would be one, I would assume. The kid from Georgia is not an NFL quarterback. So it it's just going to be interesting to see like where they fall from. Yeah, and yeah. you know, if some, there might be a team at the end of the first round though, that needs a quarterback. Like do the Rams try and draft a project quarterback? That's possible. Mm-hmm. Do you know, who's a team that's going to be drafting near the top that could use like the green Bay Packers are going to have a, what is it? Are they going to be like pick 25 or 26, something like that. They, they might draft because Jordan love ain't it. So it's going to be interesting to me to see what goes on there, but I'm very much looking forward to it. It's been fun talking football on this show. It's a hockey show. We spent the first hour talking about the Super Bowl. So yeah, I love it. It was my favorite year of football ever, I would say, even though it didn't end with Dom on top. I would say it's probably been my most fun watching football I've ever had. We discussed it a lot. We had a lot of fun watching the games together, and I can't wait to do it again next year, especially, excuse me, I have the hiccups, with college too. I can't wait to start making predictions on next season on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, Alabama's going to win for sure, and there's no doubt in my mind the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl. And with that, I would like to send it to period number two. (gasps) Where's Joey? It's a magic trick. Where's Joey? I made him disappear. Where's Joey? And before we get started with second period, I'm going to tell you that tomorrow on Crosstown Crosstalk, Cubs beat reporter Maddie Lee is going to be joining me, and we are going to talk baseball, or lack thereof, if you will. And I'm very much looking forward to sharing that with all of you. If you're wondering where Joey is, don't worry about it. He'll be back. That's none of your business. To start off, Matt Boldy, outstanding Minnesota Wild rookie, made his NHL debut earlier this season. He's off to an outstanding start to his NHL career. He's getting assists. He's scoring goals. Joey's back, ready to talk Matt Boldy. He used to play for Boston College, which is near and dear to Joey's heart. I know he doesn't like BC as much as he likes BU, but he still likes BC anyway. What do you guys think of Matt Boldy? Frank, since you didn't ditch, I'll start with you. This guy. You're on mute. Who? Oh, Joey? Okay. Don't confuse me. I was. You made me worried for a second. Oh, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't touch anything. You can hear me now, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, tech- um, I was getting my other my other ear in. Matt Boldy, this guy. I said I don't know what they feed Cooper Cup. I don't know what they feed this guy. I mean, he's played in 13 games only in the NHL, right? He's it's a small sample size, just getting his feet wet. He has seven goals and seven assists. He is point per game. And not to mention this game that you're seeing right now on the screen against Detroit records his first ever career hat trick, which is also not easy to do for a rookie. There are some veterans out there who have not recorded their first career hat trick yet. And this guy did it in his 13th NHL game. And it was on Valentine's Day. So, you know, much love to him, right? Doesn't really have anything to do anything, but I just thought it was kind of ironic that it happened. But the the fact that this guy is making waves already, I I, I can't wait to watch more of him in a, in a longer stretch of the season. Joe? Yeah, I knew right away when this kid uh, made his NHL debut uh, against the Boston Bruins on January 6th, and he scored a goal and, and helped them win 
and, uh, and defeat the Bruins in their first game of 2022, that this kid is going to be legit. It was kind of a huge moment for him. As you said, Ben, he did go to Boston University. And to, you know, come into the NHL in your first NHL game, score your first NHL goal, and then only seven games into it, have your first ever career hat trick. The, the sky is the limit for this kid. You see him doing plays like that, redirecting it. That's, that is so difficult to do. It reminds me of Steven Stamkos doing it on the other side. We've seen him do that time and time after. So, uh, yeah, the sky is the limit for him. So, Matt Boldy, I'm very impressed. I'm doing some research while you guys were talking on Matt Boldy in terms of his draft status. He was taken 12th overall by the Minnesota Wild in the 2019 NHL draft, and he's already asserted himself amongst some of the top scorers from his draft already. Um, he only has uh, 14 points so far, but a guys, everyone ahead of him has significantly more games played. So Jack Hughes is the class's leading scorer with 82 points, and second is Capo Caco with uh, 54 points, and then Kirby Doc with 52 points. Creeping right behind those two is Trevor Zegers, who I believe is the second-best player from the draft behind only Jack Hughes. I will say this, though. Matt Boldy might be the third-best, and he's proven that he's, he's, it. he's up there. The Minnesota Wild got an absolute gem with him. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is looking like one of the all-time great drafts. I mean, Nils Hoglander has been outstanding with the Vancouver Canucks so far this season. He's inserting himself into the rookie of the year conversation. We know Doc is a good big center that can at minimum be like a middle six centerman that can help any team when he might not be like a star people who are going to be, they're going to be people who are mad because he was a third overall pick and he's not like a superstar, but Kirby Doc can still help you win hockey games. There's no doubt about it. Um, Trevor Zegras, superstar, Jack Hughes, superstar, Capo Caco, same thing is, same thing as Kirby Doc. He's the second overall pick, so people are going to be mad if he doesn't turn into Patrick Kane. But he's still going to be a viable contributor to an NHL team and, you know, a good player. Moritz Sider, outstanding player for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Dylan Cousins has been really good for the Buffalo Sabres so far this season. Cole Caulfield is in the mix. Connor McMichael of the Washington Capitals. Tomasino from the Predators. And then there's Matthew Boldy, who has just been an outstanding player. That draft had... I want to say it was like nine kids come from that United States National Development Program. Jack Hughes led the way. And then, of course, Zegris, Boldy, Spencer Knight is in the mix. He was drafted there, too. Obviously, he's not on the leading scorer list because he's a goalie. So I'm very happy about Matt Boldy. Joe, I know you saw him make his NHL debut against your Boston Bruins, and he absolutely torched them. So what are your thoughts on Boldy? Yeah, I kind of already gave those thoughts. Uh, seven games, and he's already got, Frank, you said point per game, 14 points. Or no, he's seven goals, seven assists, yeah. 14 uh, 13 points games. for 13 games played. I misspoke there. Um, so, I mean, to be point per game and, you know, jumping into to a season halfway through on a Minnesota Wild team that is really good, yeah. But, Vin, we talked about a lot that the Wild, it is so clear that Kaprizov is their best player. Um, but if you look at their, their lineup now, if you add a guy like Bully who could be point per game in the NHL, he's proving to be that right now. Like, yeah, he might cool off. It is, he's a rookie. It's going to happen with young players. He had a four point game too. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to, he's going to cool off. He might not be point per game, you know, to start his career, but right now it's looking pretty good. And you look at their lineup, uh, Matt Zuccarello is having a, a crazy good year that really doesn't get talked about in the shadows of Kirill Kaprizov, along with Eric Sinek, who's got 25 points in 36 games. So not quite point per game over there, but if you add a guy who can be a viable depth piece, who can add scoring uh, to the Minnesota Wild, like watch out in the Central Division. 
they can give the, a team like the Colorado Avalanche a run for their money or look over to the Pacific, like the Vegas Golden Knights or Anaheim Ducks. I think the Wild, like this kid is going to help them tremendously. And not to mention, uh, I don't know if we're going to talk too high, too much more about the Wild. Cam Talbot has been unreal, especially at home. He's played, started in 13, or 12 games. He's got nine wins and only two losses at home for Cam Talbot. So, I mean, the Wild are, are a very dangerous team in that Central Division. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Matthew Boldy could be like a depth scorer this year and then turn into like a somewhat star player going forward. Even if he's someone like Patrick Sharp, who's like your third or fourth best scorer on your team. The Wild are one of the best teams in the league in terms of players with more than double digit points. And now a lot of them are starting to creep into the 20s. And then you got Kaprizov, who's on pace for 110 points. It's going to be interesting to see how this team does. I was going to bring up the Minnesota Wild as a squad. Mm-hmm. Especially um, at home, which Cam Talbot has been a great part of that at home. Yeah, I, I literally wrote especially at home on the list. So that's why Joey had a little bit of a smirk there. They are, I believe they are 16-3-1 and at home. And they haven't lost at the XL Energy Center in almost two months. Because their last home loss was the Winter Classic on January 1st, and that was seven games ago. So that was seven home games ago. So it, they're definitely great at home. That game wasn't even at XL Energy Center. Obviously, the Winter Classic was at Target Field, home of the Minnesota Twins. Home teams have been losing there for a little bit now. So, And, and I have right here their last home loss before that, Vin, at XL Energy Center was to the Buffalo Sabres in a shootout, a team that they should have beat at home. And if you want to go to the, the most recent home loss before that one, which you can argue is a game they should have won, it was November 16th, so very early into the season, 4-1 to one against the San Jose Sharks. So the Wild at home, I don't want to play them. Absolutely. And I believe they are a top-five team in the NHL. And as of right now, I would pick them to beat the Colorado Avalanche in a playoff series, especially if they get home ice. It'll, it's interesting. It's, I think it's, I, I think I would just bet on the home team because those are the two best home teams in the NHL. <laughs> it's very true. So when you talk about that, you got to bring up the Minnesota Wild. Frank, what do you think of the Wild? Well, right now they're clicking on all c- cylinders, and then they just all of a sudden pull Matt Beatty out of their ass and play him for 13 games into an, an already team that has been playing phenomenal. Uh, like you mentioned, yeah, they're 16-3-1 at home. They've won six in a row at home. Obviously, the, the loss to – at the winter classic. So if you count that, it, it goes back further, but, um, and you're at, they're getting hot. I think at the right moment, not that they weren't hot before, but even more so now, because you're almost at that point of the season where you want to get on that stretch and nice and pull together a few victories because you see in years past that when you get hot at the end of the season, those teams tend to make their regular season success and turn it into postseason success. So I think we're getting there being in the second half of the season. So we're going to have to watch and see what happens with the wild going forward, but they're one of the most dangerous teams in the uh, national hockey league right now. So I can't wait to see what uh, comes about it going forward. Joe, your thoughts on the wild. Yeah, arguably the most dangerous team uh, in the Western conference. Uh, There's only, they're up there easily a top, five you can argue top three top two um i think that frank i agree they're getting hot at a great time um you want to see them keep it up but a nice humbling loss in there every once in a while as weird as that sounds is it necessarily a bad thing for a team when you're this hot uh and yeah i agree 100 if you get hot right before the playoffs you're going to carry that momentum into the playoffs that's usually the teams that end up winning the stanley cup 
uh, they they started to really find their game as a team right before the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so when you talk about Matthew Boldy, he's probably too late for rookie of the year, but I definitely think there are a couple guys in the conversation for rookie of the year. I know Joey had a take that he believes Trevor Zegris is the lock to be the rookie of the year. I say not so fast. I, I actually think it's Lucas Raymond's to lose. And then, you know, guys like Moritz Sider and, you know, even someone like Dawson Mercer. Um, there are a couple people else in the mix that uh, – more. Uh, did I say Moritz Sider? Um, mm-hmm. There are a couple people in the mix. I don't think the trophy is a lock by any means by now. So, Frank, are there any rookies off offhand – that come across to you as like a lock to win the thing? Or do you think it's still up for debate? I have it between three personally, me personally. Um, I think the favorite for me is Trevor Zegras, obviously, just because the other two guys I'm going to mention, um, he has seven less games played and almost producing um, to what these other two guys that I'm about to mention has done so far this season. And right now, I mean, he's just been phenomenal for the Ducks and uh, things are clicking for his game. So I, I would actually be shocked if he didn't win the, uh, rookie of the year. Um, but the other two I have are both from the Red Wings. You got Lucas Raymond and Marit Sider. Um, they have just been incredible, except, especially Sider as a defenseman who's played in 50 games so far. He's got 34 points for a defenseman, which is just outstanding. I mean, those are, if you could get 34 points in 50 games from a rookie defenseman, you're obviously doing something right. So, um, right now, I'd give it to Zegris. The other two candidates could come in and sweep it away, I guess, but it'd be hard to see Zegris not taking it home this year. Joe? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the thing that helps those guys is they have seven extra games played. They have seven more games at hand. Zegris is sitting at 43, um, where those guys are both sitting at 50. But, I mean, to get that kind of production from a rookie defenseman, I, I kind of agree that, you know, I, I actually would pick him over Raymond. Uh, not, I mean, nothing against Raymond. But doesn't he have like two hat tricks already this year? I know he has one for sure. Um, he's been unreal. So you can't argue. It's hard to argue against that. But here's where I, I'm ready for you guys to call me a homer. You look at some of these rookie goaltenders um, with a notable amount of game starts. And you look at the top, Jeremy Swayman. I kind of said it as a joke at the beginning of the season. And then he gets sent down to Providence with the return of Tuka Rask. But now Tuka's gone. Jeremy Swayman is for sure going to be, you know, the, the Bruins' one-two punch along with uh, Linus Allmark the rest of the way. And he does have rookie status. This guy's stats are unreal for, for technically still being a rookie. He's sitting at 13th in the league for goals against average at a 2.15. He's getting wins for this team. He's got two shutouts. Um so I think Jeremy Swayman, if you look at a rookie goalie to be in the conversation, he is without a doubt the best rookie goalie. The only one who can make, uh, you can make an argument for is Nedeljkovic, who does still have his rookie status. But Jeremy Swayman is up up there for goalies who have a notable amount of game starts for the entire league for one of the top goalies in the league. So now you're just looking at rookies, and Jeremy Swayman's right there. So we'll see how many votes he ends up getting. But I think if you're looking you know, at all three positions, you got to mention Jeremy Swayman's name. Yeah, Jeremy Swayman's definitely in the conversation. I would, I think Lucas Raymond is the front runner as of right now. But I think it's going to come down to another player too that we haven't even mentioned yet. And I bet either of you might have not even realized what this kid is doing right now. And I'm talking about Anton Lundell. 
of the Florida Panthers. He has one less point than Zegras, and they've both played 46 games so or 43 games. So if Zegras gets a little bit of a benefit from not being at Raymond's point total with seven less games, I think Anton Lundell absolutely is too. He's in the race. He could win it. He has 32 points in uh, 43 games played. That's Like I said, it's right there with Zegris. They could both catch Raymond. They could both catch Sider. Sider's a defenseman, so I don't think points are necessarily going to be the number one thing. And then Matthew Bunting, Austin Matthews' is great line mate, is going to be somebody who gets into consideration too. The Matthews thing might take away votes in terms of, you know, Lucas Raymond basically do it. He drives his line. Same thing with Lundell and same thing with Zegris. But if I were voting today, my votes in order would go Raymond, Lundell, Zegris. I mean, I, I really mean that. Lundell has been outstanding, and he is plus 25. I don't love plus minus, but Zegris is minus 12. Raymond is minus one. And Lundell is plus 25. He's the only player that's plus besides Bunting and Janat and Carrier in the top 10 of scoring. So to And he's the only one above, like, plus 11. So the fact that he's been so good defensively, clearly, and putting up the same level of points as a Zegras, as a Raymond, he absolutely has to be in the mix. Yeah, I would say the only thing that kind of helps that plus minus is you look at the team he's on. The Florida Panthers are sitting at a plus 55 as a team, which is the highest in the Eastern Conference, second highest in the entire National Hockey League. And you look at everyone on the Florida Panthers and they all have a pretty much every notable, you know, top six forward has a, a plus minus north of 15. So That's why plus minus is a flawed stat. I agree with you. Yeah. But if you're trash defensively, you ain't plus 25. Yeah, no, that's a good point. The only oh. negative player, I, it kind of shocks me, Joe Thornton is a minus nine on that team. He's just so. out there for yeah. – he's just out there to try and get one last shot. For a good time. One yeah. last, one last he, shot. he only has 24 games played. Yeah. I don't think he plays second half of back-to-backs. I think that's the story for Jumbo. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, Yarmir Yager, happy birthday, Yager, is over there. Yeah, yesterday was Yarmir Yager's – 50th birthday. Happy birthday to him. He played for two of the three people on this show's favorite team and he scored his first career NHL goal against the New Jersey Devils. So a little fun fact for you. Tyler Toffoli was just traded to the Calgary Flames for two from the Montreal Canadiens. And Joe, I know you had some hefty thoughts on this trade. So why don't you grace the people with your thoughts on the Tyler Toffoli trade? Because I yeah. personally, I don't even need to go after you two go. I'll just say I think both teams got exactly what they need in this deal. Yeah, so I have the trade right here. The Flames acquired Tyler Toffoli, and in exchange, the Montreal Canadiens acquired a first-rounder, a fifth-round pick, Tyler Pitlick, and Emil Heinemann. Heinemann. Heinemann? We'll call him Heinemann. Um, don't know much about him. We know Tyler Pitlick, uh, and then those first and fifth round picks, who knows what they'll evolve to. Uh, I think this helps both teams. I think the Montreal Canadiens are going to be, you know, a thorn in my side in probably about three or four years. Um, and I think the Calgary Flames are good enough to make a Stanley Cup run this year. And I think Tyler Toffoli is a great addition to this team. I love when teams get a head jump on the trade deadline acquisitions. 
the Flames, you know, we've seen the amazing things that that lineup has been doing this year. Uh, and, it, and it's good to uh, reunite him with a familiar face. I saw Milan Lucic was the guy who picked him up. From I think he picked him up from the airport right when he got traded. Milan Lucic made a nice Instagram post. Of course, they were teammates in Los Angeles. So anytime you got a player coming into somewhere where they're familiar, uh, they have friends on the team, it, it just seems to mold well. Don't and, forget who Calgary's coach is, too. And, yeah, I was just going to get to that. And another familiar face, the the head coach, Daryl Sutter, who coached Tyler Toffoli in Los Angeles, won a Stanley Cup with them. So I think this is a perfect fit. Tyler Toffoli uh, over the Calgary Flames just makes them a more even dangerous team than they already are. Frank? I absolutely love Tyler Toffoli. I loved him when he was on the Kings. Yeah. I didn't uh, watch him too much when he was on the Canadians just because Canadians stink and I don't watch a lot of Canadian games. Scored a lot of goals last year. Impressive season for the Kings. I saw him in person. But Tyler Toffoli, I, I love this guy. And to, to be honest with you, I think that he's even going to produce more on the flames than he did with uh, Montreal. And I know you guys said he had a great uh, offensive production last year, but look what he did in his first game it, with Calgary. He scored a goal in his debut game. Tyler Tufoli scored a goal. I strongly believe that sports is all about chemistry. Joe, you mentioned Daryl Sutter, Lucic, you're coming in, you get some, uh, you get that chemistry back on the team. It's just great. I can't wait to see what he does with the Flames, and it's it's a piece that the Flames needed. Did you see the goal? Uh, briefly. I don't remember it, but I did see a clip of it. Hockey took the puck and, like, lifted it above the entire neutral zone. Toffoli caught it on his stick onside in a breakaway and deked out the goalie. It was he's, he's an underrated player in my Oh, opinion. absolutely. A lot, of, a lot of people don't talk about him. Um, not, not many people really mention him a lot, like I said, but – to me, he's very, very underrated in his skill. He's got a lot of skill that's not talked about. A lot. There's a reason they put him on hockey's line right when they got there. Yeah. I mean, you don't play with Johnny Goudreau if you're, like, not an outstanding goal scorer. So it should be a lot of fun. Tonight, Jack Eichel, he makes his long-awaited return, especially on this podcast. We've been talking about Jack Eichel for a long time. We talked about his surgery we talked about, you know, how much we loved him when he was with the Buffalo Sabres and can't wait to see him play for the Vegas Golden Knights because it's an elite team adding an elite player. He's back tonight to play for the Vegas Golden Knights for the first time ever. Frank, what do you think? Um, this is going to be electric. I'm so glad that he's debuting in the Fortress and that he doesn't have to come in and debut on the road because that building tonight, T-Mobile Arena, is going to be electric the roof is going to blow off the the place um this is the moment that knights fans have been waiting for especially because mark stone's not there he's on a long-term injured reserve um robin leonard's out due to an injury so eichel needs to come in and step up to give the the uh knights a chance against the avalanche um i can't wait to watch it it's a tnt game it'll be on national television i think it's going to be a great game overall and it's great to see him back in in a, in a hockey uniform Joseph? Yeah, you just if you scroll down the uh, – I'm kind of doing it right now. If you scroll down the Vegas Golden Knights Twitter, it's just they're asking every single player about Jack Eichel. They're talking to Jack Eichel. You know, head coach is giving his input, and Jack Eichel is ready to play. It sucks that um, 
is it true Mark Stone is on the long-term injured reserve now? So yes. he's kind of just swapping in with with the Eichel. So we still are getting screwed out of a full, healthy Vegas Golden Knights lineup, which every hockey fan is just itching to see how good this team is going to be when 100% healthy. But, I mean, I'm excited to see Jack Eichel. We haven't seen him play hockey in, in quite some time now. And if you're a fan of the game, you got to be a fan of this guy. So I know I'll be tuned in tonight watching Jack Eichel make his Vegas Golden Knights debut. Heck yeah, I cannot wait. It's going to be a lot of fun to check out this team with Jack Eichel in the mix. They've been missing that like number one center pretty much for a long time. I know Wild Bill had that outstanding season. He's still a great player, but Jack Eichel is now their best player. They keep trading for their best player. It's honestly outstanding. When they had um, the regular team, they weren't satisfied with going to the Stanley Cup final. They trade for Max Pacioretty. Okay. That's nice. He's our new best player. We're not the Golden Misfits anymore. Oh, let's sign or let's trade for Mark Stone. Mark Stone's Ottawa's best player. Let's trade for him. We'll try and get Eric Carlson, but when that ultimately fails, we'll go out and sign Alex Petrangelo in free agency. Oh, that's not enough either. We really want to beat the Colorado Avalanche. The Minnesota Wild even gave us a scare. Let's trade for Jack Eichel. Now they're dealing with a little bit of an injury bug. They'll be able to get through it, I believe, and we will see Vegas make a deep run in the postseason with Jack Eichel leading the way. I'm excited. Um, shout out to me for scooping him in fantasy hockey. He is no one in cares. my life. Talk about the Boston Bruins. <laughs> okay. Uh, Boston Bruins. Uh, Brad Marchand, who is on my fantasy hockey team, is still Nobody off. But while, while I brought up, while we're talking about my fantasy hockey team, I did pick up Jack Eichel. Uh, he is in my starting lineup against you, Vin. Who, who, you should care because aren't you beating me? Yeah, I'm getting shit on. 7-2 to by yours truly, Vinny Parisi. So uh, Jack Eichel is going to ruin your day today. Uh, we're going to sit Pierre-Luc Dubois in favor of him. So, uh, yeah, another good thing. I was itching for a shutout yesterday, Vin. Look, look, talk look about at, the Boston Bruins. Yeah, I, I just segued in from the Bruins to my fantasy team. And look at this 360 segue we're doing. I almost got a shutout from you yesterday. Jeremy Swayman put on a great game against the New York Rangers, ended up being one-to-one uh, as the Bruins faced off against the New York Rangers. In well, That was in Madison Square Garden, right? Yeah. Trying, to, trying to blank already. Mm-hmm. Um, that skill, The shootout, I just want to talk real quick. It started off like a skills competition. We just saw some great moves. Jake DeBrusque, Charlie Coyle, Artemi Panarin, and, and who else was it who scored the, the goal to make it 2-2 for the Was, Rangers? It, was it Mika? I don't know. Uh, it might have been, actually. But um, anyway, it was a great shootout. And then we go, what, round eight? No one's able to score. And then it, the Rangers end up winning. I forget who scored it. But um, Philip Heedle. I don't think it was him. Pretty sure it was Miller. Um, regardless of the fact, it was a disappointing loss. The Bruins, um, I actually thought they were going to win that game. I thought it was going to be, you know, the Bruins always seem to have that next man up mentality, and they are without their two best players in Bergeron and Marchand. But it is a little concerning that they, you know, they're only able to score the one goal. Charlie Coyle has been on a tear. But we'll see how they do against the New York Islanders tomorrow. Um, I don't even want to talk about one of the games that was in between now and our last show because they just can't seem to do anything against the Carolina Hurricanes, who last uh, Thursday completed the season sweep over the Boston Bruins. And just listen to these goal totals. The Hurricanes in Game 1, 3-0 them. Game 2, 7-1 to one Hurricanes. Game 3, 6 to nothing Hurricanes. 
So the Bruins get swept by the Carolina Hurricanes in all three games. And if you're a math guy, that's a deficit of 16 to 1. I don't want to play them in the playoffs. So I don't know what it is. The Carolina Hurricanes are the new Washington Capitals in terms of they just have the Bruins number. Uh, then they they bounce back with a shutout against Ottawa. And I would have been very pissed if they lost that game. But Jeremy Swayman is, uh, is back with the Bruins, and he's been playing some great hockey. So looking at the Islanders tomorrow. The Devils beat the Hurricanes 7-4. The who? Frank, any <laughs> thoughts on anything Joey said about the Boston Bruins? Uh, yeah, I mean, they've been just playing phenomenal hockey, and the fact that he mentioned the that they have to play the Hurricanes coming up, it, they're they're struggling right now because I think they they could be better than what they are showing to be. They're they're a great National Hockey League team, um, but I think they could be playing a lot better hockey right now. So we we'll have to see how the rest of the season goes, um, and see how they put all the pieces together going forward. Yeah, I'm very high on the Bruins. I think they have a chance to go deep. They do need some of their big guns to be healthy going forward. Yeah, so absolutely. I definitely am looking for that to be the case. Um, I don't want to talk about the Devils, so I, I'm just not going to. They stink. Jack Hughes and Nico Hishi are all-star, third star of the week. They're great. Everybody knows they're great. But the team stinks, no goaltending. They give up five or more goals a game. They stink, don't want to talk about them. Talk to me about the Chicago Blackhawks, Frank. Well, it's kind of been a roller coaster of a ride their past three games. Um, going all the way back to Edmonton, the Hawks go into Edmonton. They pick up a big win. They win 4-1, to one, and it just seems like the Oilers are one of those teams that the Blackhawks have their number. Same thing when they played them in the play-in series. They beat them when they should have lost. Um, but – it just seems like they, they always play well against the Oilers. Where back in the day, the Oilers used to have the Hawks number, always scoring like eight goals on them back at the Chicago Stadium. So just two, they go into Edmonton, they win four to one. Then they go to play the Blues, home against the Blues. They get absolutely shelled. They lose five to one. That's like, oh, kind of brought it, brought them down to earth. But then they go to Winnipeg, the second Canadian team they play on the road. They win three to one. They they had such a strong third period. I was very proud of the way they played in the third period. And what I've liked lately from the Hawks is two two guys have really been making an impact. That being Alex DeBrinket, who's been an absolute stud, and Brandon Hagel. And I, I know a lot of people lately and a lot of teams have been making offers for Brandon Hagel, and I hope they do not trade him. This guy's got a great future with the Hawks. He has been playing absolutely insane. And Another thing that I thought was pretty crazy is in those two wins, the Canadian teams, Edmonton and Winnipeg, both DeBrinken and Hagel each had a goal in both of those games. So right now we know the Hawks aren't going anywhere. They're not going to make the playoffs and they're playing stress-free hockey. And I think being able to play stress-free hockey because you don't, you, you know, they're not going to go anywhere is loosening up a bit for the teams. And maybe that's why they're, they're just kind of going with the flow you know, oh, we won this game great or happy, but this is an opportunity to give some of your young guys who don't have a lot of NHL experience a chance at the NHL level. And it's different from preseason because you're you're playing these younger guys against teams who are playing full rosters, which doesn't happen in the preseason. So I'm, I've really liked what I've seen from Alex Abrinkin and Brandon Hagel. The Hawks have been on a roller coaster. I know Friday or no, is it tomorrow? It might be tomorrow. They it's home tomorrow home against the Columbus Jackets. Blue Jackets. Yes, uh-huh. and then they play. Uh, they play Friday as well. They play a back to back. 
Um, but I, I'm just it's it's been okay. It's been a roller coaster, but hopefully next season is better for them. Yeah, I agree with almost everything you said. The only thing I disagree on is I would trade Brandon Hagel yesterday. No, you're on some. Glue. No, I'm not on glue. You're some on of those glue. offers that they were offered for Brandon Hagel are like so significantly better than what Brandon Hagel's worth. And if he ever puts up a season like he's putting up right now, again, I will be absolutely stunned. So I would trade him right. He's Frank Schwindel of hockey. I would trade him right now. And if that offer from the Vancouver Canucks was actually real and they said no, then I don't know what the hell they're doing. I mean, I, a little birdie told me that they're going to hire their GM later this week. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, it probably is going to end up being Kyle Davidson, which I think is probably the right decision. Um, unless it was like Eddie Olchek, but I would hire Eddie to be the president. But yeah, that's my thoughts on the whole thing. The Hawks are, they got a lot of work to do. Joe? I guess I'll just talk about the future. Um, the future of this week, I should say. Frank, you, you did a great job summing up kind of their past few games. Um, they, yeah, you, you were right. They play tomorrow. and They got a nice little homestand coming up. They play tomorrow against Columbus. Then Friday is the, against the Dallas Stars. And then another, the, probably the biggest test of these three games is on Sunday at 2 p.m. They play against the Florida Panthers. Uh, so that'll be a great game, as always, watching the Florida Panthers play. We just talked about them. So uh, we're looking forward to it. And we see Scox in the chat saying it's sounding like Flurry is getting moved at the deadline. I would say there's a guarantee that that happens. I think I heard that Flurry was asked if uh, he's talked to anyone about, you know, him being moved. And his answer was no. And I believe him. His answer was no, he hasn't. But he believes his agent has. So I would pretty much bank. You know, that guy's talking to teams. What's Alan Walsh? Yeah, the guy 100%. who put the picture with the the knife in his back or whatever. That guy's yeah. talking to teams trying yeah. trying to get Flurry into the playoffs. What are we talking about here? Yeah, and then uh, those are the only three games before our next show. And Vin, I'm sure after that we're going to talk extensively about the next upcoming week of games as your new Jer- New Jersey Devils come to town. So, uh, but yeah, uh, some good hockey. I was not expecting them to beat the Winnipeg Jets. I'll be honest. I watched like the first period and a half of that game and i was i was surprised so they they played such a great third period and that's ultimately why they won they clamped mm-hmm. down defensively you know we see a lot of the hawks games where they blow leads late in the game they have a lead and everyone's like all right hawks have a lead but then they end up choking in the third period that was not the case they clamped down and they played at almost perfect third period mm-hmm. and i saw the that empty net that we just saw of hagel uh, like tried me- to score Flurry tried to score 100, percent but Hagel looked like me out there uh, trying to do a, your routine going around the net. You catch an edge, and then, uh, then all of a sudden you're eating the boards. Looked like me in my in my leagues. Yeah, Joe. I actually have to ask you a question. I'm trying to find the exact. Here we go. Would you take a high end prospect and a first rounder for Brandon Hagel? A high end prospect. A high end prospect. 100%. That I would was. That's the reported trade offer for Hagel. Yeah. I mean, the first round pick in an NHL player would, would probably do it for me. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to confirm the team that it was that offered it to him. And I am not being able to find it. This comes from, you know, Frank Severelli. You've, so, you've yeah, seen his name pop Twitter. around on Twitter. Around mm-hmm. This was a conversation on his podcast. He asked the question, is it worth it for the Blackhawks to keep Hagel or to get a price close to that and move him? But the his co-host said, do you think they could get a first rounder for Brandon Hagel? And he says, can they get a first? There are teams that have offered him a 
offered a first and a prospect for Hagel? Question mark. Yes. Well, if I'm Chicago, I'm taking that. Now, I wouldn't trade him for nothing. He's had a good year. But if the Florida Panthers are offering, or if the, what do you call it? If the, yeah, the Florida Panthers are offering Spencer Knight and a first for Hagel, I'm taking it. If the Minnesota Wild, if the Minnesota, well, that's one of the options. If the Minnesota Wild are offering Marco Rossi and a first round pick for Brandon Hagel, I'm, I'm taking it. I like Hagel, but I, I can't get behind just keeping him for absolutely nothing. I mean, Frank, would you want a high-end prospect and a first for Hagel, or would you it, still say yeah, no? No, I mean, it all depends who that prospect is, because I'm very high up on Hagel. I've, I've loved what he's done with Hagel's the outstanding. And I, I think he's only going to improve with time. That's how all NHL players and all athletes are. They improve with time. I just think it's kind of crazy that you would want to give up on him so soon in his career, because I the whole – point of this Hawks team is for building for the future right they're not going with veterans they're not going to push the chips all in and go for the Stanley Cup they're going to develop over time and I think Hagel helps with that and and building a young team and bringing just bringing everybody together yeah I, I agree with you on that when you brought up the fact that the rumor was that he was traded I had in my head what I saw reportedly offered for him and- I agree with you with the Spencer Knight thing. Yeah, I would take that too. It all depends on who the prospect is as well. Yeah, I would do Rossi too. Rossi's um, outstanding. Ross Rossi would probably come in and be their top line center like next year. That like that's how good Marco Rossi is. The Minnesota Wild took him in the Lafreniere draft 20 because the Devils were between him and Holtz, and they have Heesher and Jack. So they went with the winger instead of the center, which I kind of understand. If two guys are equal and one's a wing and one's a center, yeah. you, you take the positional need. So that's where I'm at on the Hawks. I think they they could be smart with their moves here at this deadline, and they could be dumb here at their moves no, with this chasing. deadline. But <laughs> when you guys hear the announcement of the GM at the end of the week, you'll think of me. Um, I, I don't. I I'm, said. I, Frank, I said I'm cheesing because uh, I found out when you're looking when you look at splits, there's mm-hmm. so many cool stats you can look at on the NHL app and on NHL.com. When you look at splits, I'm looking at Brandon Hagel's splits. He is um, in on Wednesdays. He has got two goals and six assists. <laughs> well, they don't play tonight. I wish I they, know, they don't play tonight. He watches this podcast and gets so hyped that he goes out and plays. Yeah, well. Thursday's Frank not looking too good. He's got zero goals and one assist. So we'll Tomorrow see how he does. The day. Tomorrow's we'll see, the day. We'll see how he does against uh, Columbus. But hey, there's a merit to this. If this is uh, Friday, he's got three goals and three assists in seven games played. So and he plays good on Fridays. Fridays. Yeah, so he yeah. plays good on Fridays. If he ends up having a good game against Dallas, I'm going to start looking at these day by day <laughs> <laughs> when I make my best. He gets a healthy sleep in, you know? Yeah. Your boy, exactly. might, your boy might be at the game tomorrow. Against the Columbus Blue Jackets, so you're we'll going see. for one a week, huh? You go to the Bulls game last. I week. will be at the game against the New Jersey Devils next Friday, and that's the one time that I want freaking the Devils to just pull out a win with VP in attendance. Joe, one of our all-time favorite players, one of this podcast's favorite players, reached an incredible milestone yesterday. Of course, I'm talking about the all-time great Sidney Crosby scored his 500th career NHL goal against the Philadelphia Flyers. It was about as storybook 
of a 500th goal as Crosby can score because it was his 500th career goal. It wasn't an empty netter, so it wasn't janky. It was his 50th career goal against the Philadelphia Flyers, his number one rival. You might remember that video that came out eight or nine years ago where somebody asks him what he thinks of the Flyers, and he goes, I don't like them. And someone goes, why? He goes, I just don't like them. They don't like me. I don't like them. He loves torching the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers themselves put pictures of Sidney Crosby inside of their urinals so people can, like, go pee on Crosby. Like, they, it, they got that hateful at points, and he just destroyed them. They've won nothing since he came into the league. He's won three cups. And I also think it was incredibly fitting that it was Sidney Crosby with the primary assist from Evgeny Malkin. It's been the Sid and Gino show for 15 years now. It's a big reason why I'm a fan of hockey to this day. And I'm very happy for Sidney Crosby. It was an absolute pleasure to watch him for all these years. I'm glad he didn't score his 500th against the Devils because Ovechkin scored his 700th against the Devils. And that was annoying. And I like when guys score a milestone goal like that and the entire bench floods over the bench. Crosby's going to have... 2,000 points if he plays till age 42-ish. I think he will. I hope he becomes the second player to ever reach 2,000 points. I'm rooting for it where I'm a Sid guy, and I just wanted to give a little long description of it because he's just been such a favorite player of mine for such a long time. I feel bad that, like, I'm getting older and he's getting older and there's going to come a point where Sid's not in the league anymore, and that's going to be, like, a tremendously hard thing for me to accept because – I have just truly loved watching Sidney Crosby for all these years. He's like a mix of McDavid and Taves in a way where like he can do the fancy stuff. He can deke and dangle and do all that fantastic stuff. But he's also like a grinder. He's always hanging out in front of the net. He's always working hard down low. And if you're teaching your kids to play hockey the right way, I show them Sidney Crosby tape because I believe that's how you play the game the right way. Sidney Crosby, 500 career goals. Joe, your thoughts? Yeah, there's two things I loved about it. Three, but you already mentioned one of them, and it's the fact that the whole team came off. We love that when when, when Ovi does. We've seen it happen for Ovi a few times now. But whenever that happens for a player, I, I love it. I want my team to be a part of that one of these days. Um, but, you know, like you said, we grew up watching Sidney Crosby. Another thing I loved about it, it came in a great game that the Penguins won. You look at the box score that game. I didn't get to watch the game live. I obviously know right when Crosby scored his 500th on Twitter, we saw that. Um, but then the Flyers scored twice after that to make the score, or three times unanswered after that to make it 4-2. to two. But the Penguins rallied Gensel, Ruedel, and then Chris Letang in overtime. It's going to be a game that Sidney Crosby remembers as a good game because Crosby is one of those guys where at the end of the day, all this man cares about is winning. He cares that he won the hockey game. And it makes it more satisfying when you have a milestone goal like that to associate it with a good memory of you winning a great hockey game as a team. Um, And another thing I loved about it is the fact that it was in front of their home fans. When a player scores one of those milestone goals on the road, you kind of get the the aftermath celebration celebration where they show the congratulations on the Jumbotron and the player is going to do the wave once they return home. But the fact that this moment was able to happen for the Pittsburgh Penguins fans in front of them in their home arena, just Crosby deserves that. So great for him. Frank, Sidney Crosby's 500th career goal. 
Yeah, I mean, you guys summed it up pretty darn well. So, but I will add, uh, it wasn't a matter of if; it was a matter of how long it would take him to get to five hundred. Because we all knew he was going to get there eventually. I don't think there was a better time that it came against the Philadelphia Flyers. And interestingly enough, he is he joins Lemieux as the only other uh, Penguin to ever reach this feat. So I thought that was pretty cool. And he is only one of two active players in the NHL to have 500 goals, which you guys know Ovechkin is the other one. Um, but yeah, it, it was just, it was, I'm, I'm happy for him. I have nothing against Cindy Crosby. So props to him. I was doing some research to talk about this last night. Connor McDavid is ahead of him points per game. He's played less games, obviously, as he starts to get older. That will go down when he's in his mid-30s just a little bit. You know who's number three amongst active players in points per game? The man who assisted on that goal, Evgeny Malkin. I don't know if there is a more underrated player in the history of the sport than Evgeny Malkin. He is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The Penguin should build a statue. 71 should be hanging from the Raptors. Yes, Sid was better, but slightly. Evgeny Malkin is the second best player of our lifetime. Uh, since our, of our hockey watching, because Wayne was alive while we were playing, so was or Wayne was playing while we were alive, so was Lemieux. But Evgeny Malkin, I would take him over Ovechkin. And I know me and Joey have screamed at each other about yeah, that no for a way. long time. His no point, their, their points per games aren't even close. They're not even close. Evgeny Malkin, he's not the goal scorer. Ovechkin's the greatest goal scorer that ever is. I'm an Ovechkin guy. I talk about it on the show all the time. I think he's going to break Wayne's record. I think he's going to blow past Wayne's record. I think he gets to 1,000. He's the greatest goal scorer who ever lived. But if we're talking about players that help everybody else around them, make the team better, give them a chance to win more, I would take Evgeny Malkin over everyone in the last 20 years except for both Crosby and McDavid. He's the third best player I've ever seen. I'm still taking Ovi over him, but yeah, you're right. Uh, he is for sure first ballot Hall of Fame. Right? They're 100% going to build a statue for for this man, Crosby, Malkin. I would even throw Latang and Mark Andre Fleury in the mix. Not for statues, but number retired. Number retired, yeah. For yeah, sure. statue is like you're in all. Like, Crosby, I think it, Crosby, eh, I, Chris Latang, dude, is a first ballot Hall of Famer in my opinion. Yeah, he is. And 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 he's a big part of this. If, especially if he ends his career in Pittsburgh, it's the only team he ever plays for. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a, some kind of... Yeah, st- statues are like... You have to be otherworldly to get a statue. Stat- statues are for the best, uh, the best players in their franchise. Yeah. I mean, like, who has a statue at... I think they just moved the Ernie Banks statue away from Wrigley Field, but it, it exists. Um, Paul Konerko has a statue, and so does Frank Thomas. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, Mario Lemieux has a statue outside of the PPG Paints Arena or whatever the hell they call it now. Like those guys get statues, Bobby Orr, Michael Jordan and Stan Mikita and Bobby Hall. Those guys have statues outside the United Center. That's it. There's no Scottie Pippen statue and he's a top 50 player ever. Like you need to be the best. LeBron James will probably get a couple statues. Maybe uh, we'll see. But, you know, those guys get statues. Malkin is in that mix. He's a top 10 player ever. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess he assisted on Crosby's goal. Yeah. Frank, what what are your thoughts? Or We already got your thoughts on Crosby. I want your thoughts on your favorite story from either last week or going into this week. Um, 
Well, I, I'm just going to keep it simple. My favorite story is Crosby getting his 500th goal because okay. this is something that doesn't happen way too often. I mean, just think about it. There are only two players active who have reached this feat. So Who's this next? Is some... Stamkos? I don't probably know. Stamkos. I saw the list, but it's I probably know. Stamkos. Um, but yeah, stuff like this it like needs to be talked about because it, it, we're watching like some of the greatest players of all time r- reach these milestones, and there will be people out there who will be like, one day Sidney Crosby will be a legend to people, kind of like how we we weren't alive back in the '60s or '50s, and you get the best hockey players of that era, and those people are like, wow, they actually played hockey and stuff like that. Well, that's going to be Sidney Crosby to some people. So it was just great to see him get his 500th goal. And here's to the next 100 on the 600. He'll probably get to around 600. He'll be in the Jerome McGinley, I think-ish category, like top 15 goals all time. Steven Stamkos has 462 goals. So he might even get into like that Jerome McGinley. He might end with more goals than Crosby because he's three years younger and he's only 40 goals behind. Now Crosby did miss pretty much two full seasons because of that concussion back in the day. Eric Stahl's technically considered an active player, but he's not. Same thing with Marlowe. That's why he didn't pop up on any of those lists yesterday because he actually has more than Crosby. Um, Evgeny Malkin, I think, has a chance. He needs 71 more goals, oddly enough. He's number 71. I actually don't think Evgeny Malkin will score 71 more goals. Maybe. But Jumbo's not going to reach it because he only scores. Patrick Kane, 416. And I don't believe Joe Pavelski, Jeff Carter, Corey Perry, Zach Parisi, or Phil Kessel really have too much of a shot. Those are the next guys in line with like the high 300s, low 400s. So, Joe, what's your favorite story from the week? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of switch gears back to the, the younger side. We've been talking a lot about the, uh, the vets of the league and their accomplishments, but I'm going back to the younger side. And the favorite story for me is the lead-up and the anticipation the shedding the non-contact jersey, the insertion of the lineup tonight, Jack Eichel's NHL be- or season debut tonight is gonna is the biggest story because it's kind of been like a week long process. Like once he shed that non-contact jersey, is the the moment I picked him up in fantasy and I started to get excited. And then they announced a couple of days ago that he will be making his season debut tonight. So it's just this whole storyline and this whole process with Jack Eichel has been the thing I've been looking forward to the most. So that's gonna be my answer. Very interesting. Can't wait to see Jack play for the Golden Knights. We'll be tuned in tonight. My favorite story is the one that's coming up. I'm very excited for a game. I'm not positive. I'm not going to be able to watch it live live, but I will certainly be keeping up with it and catching either the condensed game later on in the evening or later that night. And the Florida Panthers play the Minnesota Wild on Friday night. And that, to me, is a premier matchup of two teams that don't play each other very often. It's an ESPN Plus exclusive, and my guy, John Bucigras, is calling the game. And I just can't wait to either tune in live or catch the highlights later. It's definitely a game that I'm invested in. Like I said, there's a chance that I'm not able to watch it like fully in tune. Like It's more than likely. But there, I will be keeping up with the game to some degree because I'm excited to see how the Wild – and the Panthers play against each other. Um, yes, we are live. Hello. Nice to see you, Gabe, at the house 99. Um, we Another. Anything hockey here, throw in. Is that Joey Salads? Uh, Joey Salads? Uh, well, he has salad on top of his head. Joe, why don't you show Gabe at the house your salad? No, no, no. Um, Joey, Joey Salads. Salads. Joey Salads is a real person. Joey Salads is a YouTuber. 
Um, well, I've then hell yeah, your Joey salads. Bring all the Joey salads fans <laughs> right along in here. He said, bro, it's Joey salads, bro. <laughs> Do you I'm look like, like Joey is salads? I have to know who Joey salads is. Right he's now. a YouTuber. I don't even I, care about hockey. I've anymore. never heard of Joey salads. I, you, if you see them, oh you my might feel like God, I'm, you are it Joey. Does, it doesn't not look like me. You <laughs> are see. Joey Salas. I, I need to see a picture. Oh, except he's wearing a disgusting hat in this picture. It does not look like me. Hold on, no, I'll share my. Never mind. I don't like Joey Salads. Screw that guy. I'll share my screen. No, here. no, no. We don't like Joey Salads. Ow, get out of here. Go away. Why? He's like a a Nazi protester, like bad. Wearing yeah, he's, red he's got hats some, with white letters that nobody likes to see. I've seen he's get, got some controversial content yeah, like get uh, Joey Salads out of here. Joey Salads um, is a piece of shit. He does like pranks, like public pranks. Man, I guarantee Frank, I guarantee you've seen some of his Maybe video. I have. Yeah. Not a Joey Salads guy after the picture I just saw. There was a certain logo that I don't even want to be shown on here with if, if it was scrolled down a little bit. There's a certain logo that I has a couple squiggly lines. There's a couple. A oh, he kind of looks like Joey a little bit. There's a little no doubt bit. I, I don't know. I look nothing like this guy. His <laughs> eyes don't look like him, but the facial hair and the, the flow maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Even slightly, you guys are on glue. Yeah, look at no. Gabe. Kinda, you know, if Gabe kinda, says you do, you do. Yeah, Gabe knows all. So you <laughs> both look like you're on Jersey Shore. <laughs> huh? Don't Maybe mess with me then, Gabe. Don't mess Maybe with me then, Gabe. Maybe he's, he's talking, talking about, about you. you. He's talking about Joey Salads and Joey. They both look like they're from Jersey Shore. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't. I don't see it. Um, but there was something Joey. I was gonna say. Thanks, Gabe, for throwing my mind off the rails. I forgot what we were talking about. We were I was actually gonna talk stories about, from the week. Yeah, and I was gonna talk about um the upset, oh, absolute upset that we saw yesterday when Team Slovakia defeated the Americans over in Beijing, China, in the Olympics. Peter Solarek, former Boston Bruins, wins it in the shootout. Um, you say I always turn it back to the Bruins, but I mean, it's just like destiny always turns it back to the and Bruins. And Canada lost this morning. They're both out. That is incredible. It's crazy. What That just goes to show you how talented the NHL is and the, the best players in the world are in the NHL. If you are the best player in the NHL, you are the best player in the world. The best goalie in the NHL. Everyone, everyone kind of laughs when I say – I'll be watching a game with someone and we'll be watching a lightning game and something happens. Vasilevsky does something amazing. I'll be like, that's the best goalie in the world. Because if you're the best player in the NHL, that makes you the best player in the world, in my opinion. And this year's uh, 2022 winter Olympics proves that. So I just wanted to keep the hockey fans updated on the winter Olympics. That Although USA is eliminated. USA's goalie yesterday, man was outstanding. And I he know yeah. Scott's is disappointed. I got a tweet from him last night that Comesso didn't play. It was not man's fault that the USA lost. I mean, he gave up one goal early, and then Slovakia tied it late with the goal he pulled. So he gave up two goals in regulation. And then in the shootout, Team USA just refused to score one every opportunity that they got. And stupid David Quinn, if the Devils hire David Quinn to be their next head coach, I am going to scream because he did not send Ben Years in the shootout. And Ben Years was the best player in overtime by far. It was not close. He had five or six chances. And for some reason, Quinn was just like, nope. So I don't want that guy coaching Hishi or Hughes at all. Get that out of here. Um, so, yeah, very good favorite story of the week for you. Um, 
Frank, outstanding stuff. I think we're going to play a quick game here in period number three. Welcome to period three, where we're going to play a little bit of a game here. It's called Pick the Winner. This one I will need my phone in order to, you know, kind of have my prompts ready to go. So I'm not texting or doing anything, you know, negligent to the show. I am absolutely participating in the game with you guys. So I have to ask you, I'm going to give you each a prompt and you are going to respond with who you think will come out on top of said prompt. Do you understand? So if I were to say Joey and Frankie are both competing for the nicest facial hair, who do you think is going to win? Joe, you would pick who you think is going to win. Frankie would pick who you think is going to win. There are some questions here where the answer is broad. It could be multiple people. Okay. So I'm going to ask you. I don't know what Gabe is hinting at here. In the he's back. he's talking about um the movie. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the movie with Doug Glatt. Uh, is it Goon? Yes, Goon. Yes. yes. So he's literally just referencing Goon as if it's a real team. Oh yeah. yes, yeah, so Halifax Highlanders. We get a Doug Glatt, uh, the guy, the the superstar of that movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So hilarious. Uh, points in the NHL. Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid are tied for the league lead with 66. Trailing them shortly after is Jonathan Huberdeau with 64. And Alexander Ovechkin and Nazem Kadri are tied for fourth. Jonathan Ice Hockey Goudreau is number six with 60. And then Austin Matthews, Kuro Kaprizov, 57. So I ask you guys, pick the winner. Who will lead the National Hockey League in scoring by season's end? Joe? I'm going to go with the chalk answer, and that's Connor McDavid. I think he is the most consistent point scorer in the National Hockey League. Um, say what you want, but for this, I'm just going to go chalk. All right, Frank? I agree. It's going to be Connor McDavid. There's really nothing else to say. Yeah, while it's close now, he's the type of player that could pull away at any moment, and I could see it happening down the stretch of the season. All right. I didn't expect each of you to pick McDavid. I'm not surprised, though, because I would pick McDavid, too. But just to kind of add a little bit of spice to the show, I'm going to – I mean, if McDavid wins, this is one you're not allowed to roast me for. You could roast me for some upcoming ones. You know which takes you're allowed to roast me for. I'm going to throw out a name here that I think could win it besides McDavid, okay? And that's Jonathan Huberdeau. Jonathan Huberdeau is the only player in the NHL with two five-plus point games this season. He's been one of the most consistent playmakers in the entire NHL. He could shoot, he could pass, he could do everything needed to help elevate the Florida Panthers and make them one of the best teams in the NHL. And although the Edmonton Oilers are hot right now, since making the coaching change, they've won three in a row and are now back fully in playoff position, tied for third in the Atlantic Division, or not the Atlantic Division, the Pacific Division. Sorry, I get my oceans confused. Um, it could be, it could go either way, but I like Huberto in this race. I think he has been exceeding all expectations, even for himself, because we've seen him score 90 plus points in the NHL. This might be the year where he eclipses a hundred and asserts himself as one of the best in the NHL in terms of playmaking. What do you think of that picture? I think it's a great pick. I think, uh, Huberto definitely has what it takes. I, like I said, I went, I, it's chalk going with McDavid. Yeah. But I think. McDavid has been – you mentioned the five-point games from Huberdeau. Um, I think McDavid has been the most consistent point scorer to where, like, I mean, how long, how many games in a row will this guy go without a point? Yeah, I think he's gone two or three maybe this year. 
Uh, I think it's only 11 games out of the 50 that they've played that he doesn't have a point. So Yes, I, I agree with you. He was also trailing by a couple of there, and he caught up because yeah. he's McDavid. Yeah. He's the most exactly. consistent. Other guys go on dry spells. McDavid doesn't. There will be a game where Huberto gets five straight points and maybe take the lead for a couple of days, but McTavid's always getting one, two, mm -hmm. sometimes three. And I think consistency here is the biggest yes, factor exactly. that plays yes. in. Because if, if McDavid goes out and has a five-point game, it's game over because his consistency is going to carry him through and he's going to end up finishing with the highest point total. That, like that, That's, in, in my opinion, that that's what would happen. You're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. It all comes down to consistency, and I agree with that. I think Huberto falls into that category. That that's where I'm at with Huberto at this point. I believe he's a top five offensive player in the NHL right now because of his consistency. He experiences McDavid level consistency with his points. He's the only NHL player with two games of five plus points this season since the start of the 2000. 2021 season huberto has five points in a game four times no other player has done so more than twice over that span huberto ranks um, second amongst all skaters in assists i'm assuming it's behind mcdavid and third in points i'm assuming it's behind mcdavid and dry so i absolutely think the world of this guy i hope he does because i'm a florida panthers guy you know i've been high on them all season long but, you know, it, it's a good conversation piece for sure. Yeah. Goals. Leon Dreisaitl and Chris Kreider are tied for first with 33 goals this season. Austin Matthews is sec tied for, I guess it's second, but he's third. 32 goals. Ovechkin has 31 because he scored two yesterday. He had gone six games without a goal. And that's what Ovechkin does, kind of fitting into McDav Frankie's McDavid argument. He'll go six games without a goal. Then when he finally gets one again, he'll score two. And now he'll score again tonight, tomorrow, and the next day. So, And then Alex Dabrinkit is fifth with 28. Kyle Connor, 26. Connor McDavid, 25. I ask you, I'll lead off with you this time, Frank. Who leads the NHL in goals by the end of the season? Um, I think me and Joey are going to disagree on this one. Um, I'm going to go with Austin Matthews just because I can see him kind of being explosive here and kind of propelling Toronto to have a good uh, second half down the stretch of the regular season. Um, he's just one of those players who could be an explosive at any time. He's only one goal behind um, the lead right now. Uh, so I, 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 that's who I'm going to go with, um, Austin Matthews. Joseph? I'm going to go with um, the guy who is the most consistent out of uh, the top five, I would say, and that is someone who just never seems to stop defeating the test of time, Alex Ovechkin. I think, you know, he just scored a big goal the other night, his patent one-timer, and every time I see that thing, it, it's just mesmerizing. So I'm going to go with um, – I'm going to go with the great eight, Alex Ovechkin. I think this is uh, another year that he'll add to his books of, uh, of a rocket Richard. Um, I actually think your guys' answers are both very compelling. They would be one and two in my book. And then I think Dreisaitl is also up there too. I think those are the three actual candidates. I think Kreider will slow down a little bit, but he still reaches 45 goals. I don't think he's going to reach the 60 that he's on pace for. And same thing with Dabrinkit. I think he'll slow down maybe just a little bit. I still think he gets 40 goals, 12 goals over his last couple games. But 
or not a couple games. What is there like 30 games left? I think he'll get to 40 for sure, but I'm not sure he's going to reach the 50 that he's on pace for. That's very hard to do, especially late in the season when there's less ice. So a long-winded answer of saying I agree with Frankie. I think Austin Matthews is going to lead the NHL in goals. I don't think it's going to be by much. I think Joey's guy, Alexander Ovechkin, will be right behind him. I also think Leon Dreisaitl's in the mix, too. If he wins, comes in second or third either. I also think there's a chance he does get to play with Connor McDavid on the power play. But, hey, it ain't like Austin Matthews doesn't get to play with Mitchell Marner, John Tavares, Matt Bunting, uh, Riley, all these awesome players that he gets to play with on the power play as well. And then, of course, Alexander Ovechkin, he's got Kuznetsov. He's got Backstrom. T is TJ Oshie back? I think TJ Oshie might be back. That's a good team, the Capitals. They're kind of like the Bruins, kind of like just trying to hang on and get into the playoffs, and then we know what they could do from there. Their incredible experience. I think those three will be in the mix near the top. But if I had to pick one, I would choose Austin Matthews. And I hope we I hope we replay this game. We could replay this game with the same questions in, in a month and a half from now because if this guy – Keep scoring at the pace that he's scoring. Here you go. Roll the eyes. In 21 games played since the tick over to 2022, he has 16 goals leading the league. He has been the best goal scorer in 2022, and that is David Pasternak. He's scoring 16 goals in 21 games. If he keeps that pace, which I know sounds impossible, but it's possible. That is David oh Pasternak. God. David Pasternak could keep climbing. Keep calm and Bergeron. So I ask you guys, the Norris Trophy, it's a common debate in the NHL. There are lots of good guys. There's no front runner right now because there's a different guy leading in points than leads in goals. Um, I believe, who did I say leads in points? Is it uh, Hedman leading all NHL defensemen in points right now? I and then Makar. Yeah, because yeah, the, the Devils were playing the Lightning yesterday. That's definitely where I saw it. And then... McCarr is number one in goals. He probably will – he might have a 30-goal season. When was the last time a defenseman had 30? Burns. And then before Burns did it, it was like Mike Green, Capitals Mike Green, like elite Mike Green. So I think uh, McCarr has a chance to do it. I do believe he will at some point in his career. I don't know if it's this year. So I ask you guys, who do you think is going to win the Norris Trophy? Is it going to be one of Hedman or – Makar, I know I'll give you a couple names that are like in the mix. Like these are the guys who they voted for, the writers voted for, like halfway through the season, like halfway to Norris Trophy. Uh Aaron Eckblad's name was near the top of the list because he's just having an outstanding season himself in the 40s for points, high plus minus Florida's in first. So Aaron Eckblad, Christopher Latang, you know all about him. Um, Adam Fox. I think is absolutely an option because of the way he's played for the New York Rangers. I believe he's third in scoring. He's probably the best out of them all defensively. I think McAvoy was in the conversation until the last couple of weeks where the offense kind of hasn't been exactly where you'd like it to be. And then, but I still think he's like absolutely in the mix because a strong 10 games point streak could absolutely have him right there and Bergeron and Marchand come back. And then of course, the one that I haven't mentioned is Roman Yossi, who's second in defenseman scoring. So I think one, the Norris Trophy will come from one of those guys that I mentioned. So, Joe, on this one, I'll ask you, who do you think wins the Norris Trophy? I'm going with my guy, Kale McCarr. 100% Kale McCarr. He's fourth in scoring in terms of defenseman, but he does lead defenseman in points per game played at a 1.09. And I know the Norris Trophy necessarily doesn't go to the best offensive defenseman. At least it's not supposed to. But, Vin, we've talked about this award. It's getting better over the past, you know, 
five or six years or so. But I think Kale McCarr, not only does he is he the best offensive defenseman, but you watch this kid play, he makes up for it as well defensively, sit at a plus 31 rating, which only Devon Taves has a higher plus minus than, than him in terms of defenseman, who is also on the Colorado Avalanche. So, it, you, yeah, you can argue that against – uh, if the plus minus really means anything, because both of the top two defensemen are on the same team, the Avalanche just score a lot of goals. But when Kale McCarr is on the ice, that means the puck is not in their defensive zone. So, I mean, how what better can you play defensively other than you turn defense into offense? And that's what Kale McCarr does. So, I'm going with Kale McCarr. I think he's the best defenseman in the league. Absolutely, I think it's a great answer, Frank. Yeah, it was uh, it was between two for me, but I think I'm gonna have to agree with Joey here. I think Kale McCarr is gonna take the cake at the end of the season, um, and a part of the reason is this guy is so quick, and he uses his uh, quickness to to play good defensive hockey because his speed allows him to get to the puck quicker than anyone else, or to to stick check uh, one of the offensive players that he's trying to defend. It's just absolutely amazing to watch. Um, he's a blast to watch. He scores at an unreal pace for a defenseman and the way the Colorado avalanche are playing at this moment, it'd be hard not to see him win the Norris. It's a very good answer. I think out of the top five guys, it is going to come down to Hedman, Yossi, um, Makar, Fox and Hedman. And then you could also probably throw, did I say Ekblad? I, I don't know. Chris, Christopher. Yeah, Christopher Latang is up there, but I think probably not this year. McAvoy is up there, but probably not this year. John Carlson is going to be top six or seven. If he's if it's the six, those six, four of them have already won the Norris Trophy. The only two that haven't are McCarr and um, Ekblad. I do think they like to give it to new guys. Sometimes it seems like the Norris Trophy is the only one that they like to make sure everybody gets their due. Very few people win it twice. These days, like Duncan Keith has two. I can't and Eric Carlson. Everybody else seems to like get their one and then that's it. Um, so it kind of makes me go against this pick, but I'm gonna go with Victor Hedman. I think leading and scoring defensively and doing what he does in the defensive side, I, I think that warrants potential to win the Norris trophy. And I did some deep thinking about it because I think if I'm doing my top three. It's Hedman, if like if I'm voting the top three, like you know how there's the nominees every year? Mm-hmm. Hedman, Makar, and um, Yossi would be the top three for me this year. Uh, Fox just misses, but Fox could come up and win. You know, any of that, any of those guys can really win. But my pick is Hedman. And there's still a lot of season left. I do believe that Kale Makar will finish as the league's leading scoring defenseman That's in terms of points, too. in terms of points and. Goals. I, I think he's just going to continue to score. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he gets hot. Let's say he is a hat trick game, like which is possible from a kid of this caliber. Um, he he ends up hitting thirty goals from a defenseman, which is something we haven't seen in, in a while. So I'd be I'd be cool with that. And also pretty notable that Kel McCarr ranks thirteenth in the league for average time on ice. Yeah, and the skating helps him mm-hmm. defend. Yeah. It helps him defend like. Nobody else. Hedman defends with positioning and using his big body, his stick. Makar is like a defenseman McDavid. Like everything is because of his outstanding ability to use his edges and crossovers and all that kind of stuff. So the Vesna Trophy is always a very interesting award as well. 
there are a lot of guys in the mix for the save percentage lead. I don't think Ville Huso, who currently leads the NHL in save percentage, is in the mix just because I don't think he's played enough games. Biddington is their starter, even though Huso should be their starter. But outside of that, the top save percentages are the usual suspects. You got Igor Shesterkin, the New York Rangers. Freddie Anderson of the Carolina Hurricanes is going to be in the mix. Jacob Markstrom, the Calgary Flames. Tristan Jari of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Even UC Saros of the Nashville Predators. Vasilevsky, he's won the Vesna Trophy already before. And Joey's guy, Jeremy Swayman of the Boston Bruins, right up there as well. So I ask you, Joe, I'll start. Who did I start with on the last one? Who did I start with for the Norris Trophy? Joey. Me. Okay, so I'll ask with Frankie first on this one. Frank, who do you think right now is the leader for the Vesna Trophy? You know, that, that's a tough one because there's so many talented goalies out there. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to go with Tristan Jari just because I've loved the way he's played with the Penguins. And when he's on his game, he is on his game. I mean, nothing's getting through him. He's like a brick wall. Um, I don't know – if he'd win it, because there are so many, like I said, talented goalies out there, but he's definitely one of them, and I could see see him stealing it down the stretch. Joseph, I'm I'm a little torn here. I think it's very very difficult, um, and like we've said before, there's a lot of hockey left. Frank, I love that answer in Tristan Jari, but for me, as of right now, I gotta go with. A guy I'm fresh in my brain. Maybe that's why recency bias. And I think I'm stealing Vinny's pick. And that's Igor Shesterkin of the New York Rangers. I think he's having a phenomenal year. I agree with Joey. I absolutely think Shesterkin is in the lead. Only Vili Huso, who has played, like I said, 12 games, has a higher save percentage and goals against average than Shesterkin. So if you eliminate Huso, he leads the league right now in save percentage and he's Frederick Anderson has 2.04 goals against and Shesterkin has 2.05 uh save uh goals against average so I definitely think that's going to come into play Anderson does have more wins I I was going to say I think it's up in the air Freddie Anderson is like I I wouldn't be surprised one bit let's put it that way yeah Freddie Anderson uh does win it I like Frankie's. I like Frankie's pick a lot. I think Jari has a chance. I think the Penguins need to like keep up what they're doing, but he would be fourth for me right now. My three nominees in order would go Shesterkin, Fred Anderson, Andre Vasilevsky. I think Vasilevsky's in the mix as well. The Devils are the only team who own him. I know they lost yesterday, but like they've scored eleven goals on him this season. I think so far, and no other team has more than like seven. So, like, for some reason, they're able to score goals on them. They just can't outshoot Stamkos, Point, Kucherov, you know, the usual. Another notable name, real quick, and while we're talking goalies, I love talking about goalies, uh, Jacob Markstrom has eight shutouts on the year and is a He'll be huge, in the mix. huge reason why the Calgary Flames are where they are. So He was my pick early on. Like, one of oh, the yeah. first podcasts oh, we hit. talked about it. He had, like, five shutouts in his mm-hmm. first 13 games. Exactly. Yeah. He but has exactly. eight. He just got his eighth, I believe, too, a couple of days ago. No other has more than four. Yeah, That's my fantasy crazy. goalie right there. Heck yeah. And if you look at all the goalies in the shutout category, few of them are like Vesna Trophy contenders. I would say the only ones are Jari and Markstrom because Campbell's fourth. Campbell had really good numbers until his recent cold streak going into the All-Star game. 
Sorokin has four. Good goalie, but the Islanders don't really protect the house as well as we thought they were going to. So some good conversation there on the goalies. Um, last but not least in terms of this, then I have one more after that have nothing to do with NHL awards. Um, all of this comes together for the Hart Trophy voting. As the league's most valuable player to his team, there are lots of people that could be in this conversation. There are obviously the front runners, which are usually the top scorers in the NHL. I'm talking Connor McDavid, I'm talking Leon Dreisaitl, Alexander Ovechkin, Huberto, Matthews. Nazem Kadri's name has to be in the mix. I know Joey despises him, but he's having a like a one-off Hart Trophy type season. And there are a lot of names to choose from a couple different goalies, some goal scorers. So I ask you, Joe, who right now is your leader for the NHL's Hart Trophy? Again, another one that's very close, but <laughs> I'm not going to go with uh, – yeah, I don't I don't think Kadri has a chance to win it because there's no way he is the most valuable player to a team when he's on a team with Rantanen, with Nathan McKinnon, with Kale McCarr. That's just, I just don't see that happening. Um, Jonathan Huberto is a name that I want to say – but I'm going to go with the Jay-Z kid who has having an outstanding year, year, and that's Johnny Goudreau. You laughed at me for calling him a possible MVP a couple he, weeks but, ago. But he is just consistently – he's sitting you at – You said six, no shot. He's sitting at six. That's when I didn't think the Flames were going to continue doing what they're doing and that they were just – and it was longer. It was way longer than a couple weeks ago. It was back when we were talking about Mangiapani continuing to be uh, the goal scorer that he is. Uh, Dylan Dubé continuing to put points and if Johnny Goudreau would be able to continue doing it and sure as shit, here we are 40 something games played Johnny Goudreau sitting at 60 points. I think if you remove him from the lineup, the Calgary flames are on a quick path down the standings. So I think Johnny Goudreau has been one of the most valuable players to his team. Right. I'm going chalk again. I'm going to say Connor McDavid just because imagine if the Oilers did not have Connor McDavid, that team would crumble. I mean, they're already not even, considered to be like elite right now so and if you're talking about the heart trophy and who's most valuable to your specific team i would have to say Connor mcdavid is most valuable to the oilers especially because i think he's going to lead in points like i said uh, it's it's just hard to believe like or it's just hard to picture what the oilers would be out with what the oilers would look like without Connor mcdavid so i'm going to go with him Two very good answers. Huberto comes in second for me, Joe. I know you brought him up. I would vote for mm -hmm. him second right now. My number one pick is Austin Matthews. I believe Austin Matthews is the most valuable player to his team right now. I know there are other stars on the Leafs. I don't like to use that two against a guy unless it's like, – like I used to use that as the argument for Hall, but that's because he had 40 more points than the team's second-leading scorer. Like that's a little different than what hockey's doing in Calgary or – what um uh Kadri's doing with the avalanche like he's not ahead by 50 points yeah i don't think Kadri has a chance to win it i don't even think he'll be a top three <laughs> you know he won't be a top three he'll be top and 10 though i don't think he'll be yeah i was gonna say not even top five no he'll be top 10 i if it were up to me if i, I think there a little are, doubt, i think there are two colorado avalanche maybe three players who are going to be a higher than Kadri in the heart rate yeah why well, Kadri you. might lead in points I told you that it's my dream to advance my writing enough to be able to vote for the Hart Trophy. I want to vote for the Hart Trophy. It is like a dream of mine to see my name next to a Hart Trophy uh, voting scale. And if I got to vote right now in order, I would go Austin Matthews, 
Jonathan Huberto, Connor McDavid. Those would be my three in that order. And I think if uh, first one gets five points, number two, I think you get up to you get five people you vote for in order. And then it's five, four, three, two, one for number of points. And whoever has the most points wins the heart trophy. I believe that's how it works. So it, it would go for the top three, it would go Matthews, Huberto, McDavid. And I would give a nod to hockey fourth. And then I don't really know what I would do fifth. I would have to really do some extensive research, but I'm excited about it. It's a lot of fun. I do have one more pick the winner, but it doesn't have to do with any NHL awards. Tonight at 10, 10 PM, in my opinion, is the golden gem of the Olympic games, the winter Olympic games. It's even better than the men's by a lot because it is the best on best of women's hockey. There's no, it's not a college team like in men's. Like if the NHL players were there, it would be close. It would be a close tie between the men and the women for the golden gem of the tournament. But tonight, the golden gem, USA versus Canada, the best rivalry in the sport. And men or women, I would say it's the best rivalry in international Olympic competition. United States versus Canada, you got, you know, some superstars on each team, outstanding goaltending on each team. They played already once before, and the women of Canada prevailed with a 4-2 victory over Team USA. We've seen this before. And they're going to meet again in the gold medal game tonight, 10-10. So I ask you to pick the winner, Joe. I'm going to go with the Americans. It's hard to beat a team twice in a row. I see a lot of – I mean, it's probably because like I, I follow a lot involving the women's hockey for USA on Twitter, and I see a lot of like the off-ice stuff with with this team. I don't really see it with Canada, so I can't speak for it. I'm, I'm sure it goes on, but it's this team, these girls, they are obsessed with winning, and they are obsessed with beating Canada. I think they're – I honestly think they're going to do it. I think it's going to be an amazing game. Frank? Uh, I'm pulling for the U.S., but I'm going to give the nod to Canada, which should be a very, very tight game. I think that this game is going to go into overtime, and I think the Canadians are going to pull it out by a score of 3-2. to two. Um, Like I said, or like I'm going to say, I think this game could go either way. Both teams are very, very, very talented, and I, I cannot wait to watch this game. I been super pumped for it ever since it became official that these two teams would be playing for gold. But I think the the can- team Canada will win three to two in a shootout or not a shootout in overtime. Um, yeah, that's my pick. I hope it doesn't go to a shootout because like it just ruins the excitement when a team wins in a shootout. It's no- there's nothing like an overtime winning goal, Frank. I love that you said it was going to go to uh, to overtime mm-hmm. because I-, I was going to say I have a feeling we're going to see like a late. Goal, a late game tying goal. Yep. Regardless of which side it is, you know, very you, close. You, Either you way. pull the goalie and you get that moment of, of tying the game late. I'm so excited. To... Stop. I'm so and then, and then you go to overtime and the team is going to win it in overtime, whether it's the Americans, whether it's the. Uh, I Canada. agree with Foster. He said 3 2 USA in overtime. It could be 3 2 USA in overtime. Mm-hmm. It could be 3 2 uh, Canada in overtime. I do think Team Canada will prevail, unfortunately. But uh, I'm, I'm cheering the women on and go Team USA. Yep, go Team USA. I am picking them to defeat the Canadians in overtime by a score of 5-4. to four. I hope they win so bad. I remember in 2018 how truly excited I was to watch the Canadian girls, uh, the American girls beat the Canadian girls. And I have a lot of love 
for that Canadian women's team. Marie-Philippe Poulin, she has an NHL shot. She's the Wayne Gretzky of women's hockey. She is outstanding. She scored on a breakaway. It might even been a penalty shot in their uh, preliminary round game. She's outstanding. She put the dagger in the U.S. The U.S. were uh, pressing them hard um, when they were down three to two. And then Marie-Philippe Poulin was awarded a penalty shot and she scored and it, that put the dagger in Team USA and they weren't able to make the comeback. I don't expect much of that tonight. I'm expecting a big game from Hillary Knight, who we have seen be so clutch in the last couple weeks. Um, Kendall Coyne Schofield, Illinois native, works for the Blackhawks. Um, it's outstanding. Um, I'm, try- I'm blanking a name. Is it Brianna Decker who works for the New Jersey Devils? Either way, I'm just so excited. There's employees from all over the NHL. The NHL does a great job of helping move the women's game forward, and I'll, I'll be tweeting about it too because I want everybody to know how awesome it is, and I'm very excited to share it with everyone. So go Team USA. I hope they uh, I hope they pull out the gold medal here. No loser in tonight's game because a silver medal in the Olympic Games is nothing, you know, nothing to be ashamed of by any means. Um, Foster's talking about if they win tonight, my only best other Olympic memory is the 1980 Winter Olympics. Well, of course, the miracle on ice will always be second to none when Micah Ruzioni and Jack O'Callaghan and all those guys were leading the way in 1980, especially during a period of time where – the United States from a political standpoint needed something to back something as great as winning that miracle on ice team in 1980 and they prevailed. And it was actually a miracle because it think about like if a college team from today played against Crosby Panarin or not Crosby Panarin, uh, Ovechkin Panarin, Malkin, Vasilevsky Kucherov. Imagine if like a college all-star team played those guys, they would get destroyed. So that's basically what happened in 1980 when those kids from college, Minnesota, Boston College, they went in and beat Konstantinov and Fedorov and all those guys who were just amazing on the Soviet Union team. So it's outstanding. I love the Olympics. I'm excited for the women tonight, Canada versus U.S. Make sure you're tuning in and make sure you're following at Vinny Parisi on Twitter, at the King Bean on Twitter, and at Joey Parisi on Twitter for all the best possible updates you can get on the game. And with that, the game is over. Period three is over. But the show's not over because we would like to send you to our all-time favorite skit, the greatest segment in the history of American podcasting, Breaking Bets. Welcome to Breaking Bets, brought to you by the Barroom Network. Of course, it is featuring me, Vinny Parisi, <laughs> Brian Cranston as Walter White, and I am blanking on Jesse Pinkman's name in real life. I cannot think of his name in real life to save Paul, Jake Paul, Jake Paul. No, Logan no, Paul. Not Jake. Logan no, Paul. No, it's that's not Logan Paul. Paul. It's that's the, the other Paul. Brother. It's the other Paul. What Paul? What Paul? Chris is it? Paul. It's not Chris Paul. <laughs> You said Logan. Chris Paul. Paul's in the NBA, you clown. Jake Paul. Jake Paul's the fighter kid. <laughs> the fighter kid. Aaron Paul. Paul. Aaron Paul. It's Aaron Paul. Paul. His it's first name's Paul. Paul. What up, Paul? Why don't we just call him Jesse? Um, 
that might behalf... be the funniest part of this whole show. Yeah, I, well, I thought you were closing out the show when you were like ending the game. So did like, I. When you're like at Vinny Brazy. <laughs> no, it's like, no, I gotta get my gambling bets in. No, <laughs> no. I gotta make. We gotta make the world money. This is some people's jobs. I get DMs on the daily, being like, "Hey, I gotta pay my mortgage. I need some picks." So I give them picks, and then they make the payment. There you go. <laughs> so that, it's so that I simple. Hope they have to do no, it little... not football. You look a little different. I do. I, I I'm just gonna go ahead and get this out of the way. I apologize. I don't have the hat and glasses. You know, life throws you obstacles. So what do we do? We take those obstacles. We overcome them. We make bets. We make money. That's what we do on the show. I don't have the hat and glasses. Is that going to affect my picks? Absolutely not, because I got some gems for you tonight. My favorite part about the two heads that we inserted here over Frankie and Joey, though, is the fact that we took the like most disgruntled version of Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. We definitely don't have them in their happy days in season one when they first started their little business in the mobile home. We're talking the end of season five. I am the one who knocks type shit. This is the part of Breaking Bad that's great, and this is the part of Breaking Bets that's great. Frank, you first, pal. All oh, right, you're going to got... steal my hockey pick. Oh, my God. He's gonna Good for you. My... Good for you. I don't think I am, Joe. I do. Uh, no, I don't think so, honestly. Um, I have three picks on the docket today. We're going to start off with something we just talked about. It's Team USA versus Team Canada in the gold medal game. It's hard not to put any type of juice on the oh, line. I'm putting here. a little bit of juice on that game for sure. That being said, <laughs> and then I'm as, I, as I stated, how close of a game I think this is going to be, it could go either way. I would say there's tremendous value to take Team USA plus one and a half. It saves you a little bit in case they do lose in overtime, like I said they would. But if they win the game outright too, you're a winner either way. Plus one and a half is minus 175. It might not be what a lot of people like. They see the large line and they kind of get scared away from it. But no, I think that's a very respectable line for taking a team plus one and a half in what should be a close game. My second pick that's is a, that's also a veteran. Another, that's a veteran speaking right there. <laughs> another, my second pick is a hockey pick too. Oh, Joey no. thinks I'm going to steal it. Oh, I, I, I don't think you're going to expect me to say this, to be honest with you. That's why I don't think you're going to, that's why I don't think I'm going to steal your pick. And I hate to say this, but I think there is tremendous value in taking the Colorado Avalanche going into. Why wouldn't I take the Avalanche? In what world would I pass up on the Avalanche? I don't know. With that value, keep the viewers. uh, Keep the viewers. I don't know. Colorado Avalanche money line is only minus one thirty, which is just bananas. I don't care if Jack Eichel's debuting. I don't care if Connor <laughs> McDavid debuting. I don't care if the Queen of England is coming to play hockey and debuting the night. This line should be Colorado should be way more favored than they are. Leonard's not playing. Mark Stone's on long term injured reserve. They're in trouble for tonight's game, and I I hate to see the debut of Jack Eichel get spoiled like this, but I think there's tremendous value in the Colorado Avalanche money line. Which brings me to my final pick, which is not hockey. We're going to switch gears to college basketball because who, who's not getting excited for March Madness? We're about oh, March I can't now. wait for March Madness. We are a month away before things start getting spicy in the March Madness category here, and there's a game on the docket tonight. That is just almost a mirror image of a game that happened last night. We're talking about number seven Baylor coming and visiting tech number 11, Texas tech. Um, last night, 
Kansas, who is fourth in the country, went into Tennessee as number 16th in the country. And Tennessee won being the home team. team, And I just think this is a great spot. Mirror image game that Texas Tech is going to defeat Baylor. At home, Texas Tech money line is also minus 130. Great value there. Like I said, mirror image from last night. I feel like it is going to be deja vu. I think Texas Tech is going to pull out the victory. I don't know if it'll be exactly a domination that we saw from Tennessee last night over Kansas, but Texas Tech wins tonight against Baylor. Just don't look at the numbers. Don't say, oh, number seven Baylor's facing number 11 Texas. I'm going to go with the higher ranked team. Obviously, that trust me, that doesn't work out too well. Take Texas Tech at home. Outstanding. Joseph. Good stuff, Frank. I especially like that USA plus one and a half because uh, yeah. I, I, like I said, I see a late tying goal. I see overtime. I see a, a moment, an Olympic moment, and that can't happen unless you have a close game. So I love the the plus one and a half spread on that. Um, Frank, you did steal one of my picks. Um, that I Colorado you were Avalanche. Going with the Knights. I don't know. No, 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 no. Because I, I, I think the world of the Avalanche. I think they're the best team in the league. Um, and then you, you got a team like that. When you can get a good team with that much value, I, I see it at minus 137 on mine. And, yeah, with the circumstance that the Vegas Golden Knights are, are facing, they need Jack Eichel to come into this lineup and be in midseason form if they want a chance against the, the Colorado Avalanche, especially with Mark Stone going on the long-term injury reserve. So I love that pick. I like the Avalanche in Vegas. Um, another pick that, that I like, we, we kind of similar mindset. The Florida Panthers are going into the Carolina Hurricanes over in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. And the Florida Panthers are just up right up there with the Colorado Avalanche. It's one of the best teams in the league. And being able to bet on those teams who can beat anyone in any arena on any given night, when you see those teams with this value, I see it at minus 105. I like hopping on those teams. So I got the Florida Panthers minus 105 on the money line uh, for pretty much an identical reason that you have the avalanche and then i guess i'm a road warrior today because of the third game another one i really like we talked about matt boldy we talked about how good the wild are i like their value too it's not as much minus 143 i like that going into winnipeg who's who's not playing their best hockey right now so the minnesota wild the florida panthers and the colorado avalanche all on the road i'm not saying parlay them all but i like the value on all three of those games Outstanding work, gentlemen. I retired from betting. Um, I nailed the coin toss because heads never fails. Um, under jersey number, I don't. I don't see how twenty three was the number they set it at when guys like Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., Jamar Chase, like all these guys are the top dogs are all under. Even Acres is twenty three. Like, what are we doing here? Well, you would have lost. It was 22 it was and a half. Right? 23 and a half. No, 23 and a half. Yeah. I got 22 and a half. I, was, yeah, I, I kept saying, I kept saying, I, if Akers fucking runs this thing in. I'm... Yeah. <laughs> it it, it was crazy to me that that's the number. Joey they chose. got gypped. I got gypped on Gatorade. It, it was point. the Gatorade was blue and I did green. Green slash yellow. Green? It became I the favorite. Was... It became I... the favorite. When the, the sharks, was... when the sharks start betting on something like that late, it's not a bad idea to throw a chunk of change on it. It was like fourth going into the day, and by kickoff, it was first. I was I like, thought "Money, orange for sure." You got people, you got the coaches and the, the equipment guys on the side of there peeking into the Gatorades <laughs> and tweeting about it, sending texts to their buddies. I got, 100K, I, I, I got a hundred k on orange. Use that shit. 
I also would love to see the alternate timeline of if the Bengals won the Super Bowl, what color it would have been. Yeah. Like, it's a different color if the Bengals win. They're they're grabbing a different thing. And then that's true. They missed uh the line for the game. It was uh Bengals minus what four? I saw and, four and a half. Yeah. I saw, I or saw Bengals, Bengals plus four. Oh, no, four, four, and a half. four. It was four. I, saw, I, I got I got Rams uh, I got Rams I minus four. four. I got Rams minus four and I got screwed. Bengals plus three. four and a half to me was a great bet and it hit. So yeah, it was a great bet. It did I hit. didn't take it. I didn't take it, but yeah. even four is good. Four, four and a half is good. Yeah. yeah. Uh both quarterbacks went under rushing. It, it was an interesting betting game for sure. I definitely did way better last year than I did this year. Oh, but same. Whenever whenever Tom's involved, I, I know what I'm doing a lot more. So I, I need to find my new Tom. Who's gonna be my new Tom? Is it you, Justin? Hopefully, did you guys enjoy the show? Yeah, it was fun. It was a good show. It was a very good show. I enjoyed talking hockey with you guys. It's going to be pretty much solely hockey until March Madness rolls around, so I'm very much looking forward to that. I encourage everyone. I'm just going to do whatever Frankie says. Frankie's the best March Madness player I've ever (laughs) seen in my life. Yeah, I mean, you don't make a bad point there. I encourage everyone to tune in next Wednesday at 2 p.m. where we will take a deep dive into what goes on in tonight's game between Team USA and Team Canada in the Olympic gold medal game for women's hockey. We should know a men's Olympic gold champion by then. I'm rooting for Slovakia going forward because the number two pick in the draft is the reason that the Team USA lost yesterday. So very much looking forward to that. Canada's out too, so there's not even our neighbors to the north to root for anymore. So go Slovakia. That's who I'm rooting for. Very excited about the rest of the men's tournament as well. I'm very excited for some NHL action this weekend. It should be a lot of fun going down, catching the Columbus Blue Jackets. Have I ever seen the Columbus Blue Jackets in person? I've seen almost every team in the NHL in person. I don't think I've I've seen almost every team, and I don't think the Blue Jackets are one of them. I don't think I've ever seen the Blue Jackets. So pretty looking forward to that. Zach Wierenski, Patrick Laine in town to take on the Chicago Blackhawks. Make sure you are tuning into that. And Real then, quick. of course, go ahead. Real quick, um, there's a comment from King Pookie. He, we, I never had a time to throw it up on the screen. Vin, do you have your opinion on baseball season, or do you want to, like, promo? Yes, there will I, be I a baseball I season. Want to interrupt, I didn't want to interrupt you. We were talking about something when he asked this, so I didn't want to throw it up. But I figured now while we're kind of closing it out, if he's still here, he, he was very curious, or even early on in the show, he asked, do you think there will be a baseball season? There you have yes. it from Vinny Priest. I do believe there will be a baseball season. I do not believe spring training. Well, spring training pitchers and catchers were supposed to report yesterday, and then today was supposed to be the first day that they actually started throwing and working on their mechanics. So spring training would have officially been underway today, but instead it's not. Everybody's hoping that they're able to get another meeting. They are supposed to schedule another meeting between the Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Players Association later this week. Guys, one meeting could end the thing. That That's the thing people don't understand when they keep saying, oh, we're never going to get baseball back. We are going to get baseball back. One meeting will end it. And guess what? A little birdie told me. I do got a lot of birdies. Hey, you guys all have access to my sports brain for free. Okay. You can either use it to your advantage or not. They are feeling, this is a fact, that they are already feeling revenue impact by the lockout. There are not people buying tickets. Nobody's buying tickets for this season. I haven't purchased a single ticket 
Last year, I knew three games I was going to already by this point. The, I, I do not own a single ticket to a Major League Baseball game next season, and I am not the only one. Why would anybody buy a ticket right now? Why would anybody put money on a game that means nothing? I, it might not happen. So, I, you know, the MLB, it absolutely is going to play. The owners are already starting to feel it. Wait till the players start missing games. Wait till their paychecks start to get impacted a little bit. These two got, sides are going to come together. I'm obviously team players. The owners are all a bunch of cheapskates who, you know, don't want to play this year because of revenue. They don't care about the actual game. Of course, I'm team player. Oh, it's millionaires arguing with billionaires. That's not always true. Okay. A lot of major league baseball players are not millionaires. I would say most of them are not. You, not everyone is Mike Trout, Giancarlo Stanton, Bryce Harper. Most guys don't make that much. I mean, a lot of money to us, but like generational wealth. No, every owner is a billionaire. So I don't get how anybody could be on the side of the owners here, but I do believe the owners are already feeling the revenue loss. Nobody's buying tickets to games that don't exist right now. So once the players start feeling it, these two sides are really going to come together. The last MLB proposal was a complete joke. They want to eliminate jobs in minor league baseball, and they want minor league players to not get paid for spring training. That is never going to happen. The Players Association will never let a single player participate in spring training without getting at least a little compensation, even if it's a $30,000 a year salary, which is what a lot of minor league players makes. You can like get an executive position at McDonald's making more money than some you know, major minor league baseball players. And that's where really the lockout kind of starts and ends. So I don't think that there's any way that this thing doesn't get done eventually. They will have a deal at some point. I just hope we play 162 games. That might be in jeopardy. But spring training's already delayed, started today, and they're not there. So I do believe there will be a season is my long-winded answer to King Pookie Nation. Very good. Yep, there you go. So that's our show. I hope everybody enjoyed watching Bar Down Talking Hockey. And speaking of baseball, you could tune in to catch me tomorrow on Crosstown Crosstalk with Cubs beat reporter Maddie Lee. We're going to talk some Marcus Stroman. We're going to talk some Frankie Schwindel. I want to talk about some Patrick Wisdom action. Does Anthony Rizzo rumors coming back to the Cubs? Another little birdie told me that's just impossible. Like, are stuff like that going to happen? We'll see. I think the Cubs are actually going to have a really good pitching rotation next year. And going to have some good conversation with her about the team on the north side. And then, of course, I'm going to talk my shit about the Sox at some point during the episode, too. There's no doubt about it. Got articles going up to fan-sided. Frankie did outstanding work covering the Super Bowl from a Madden perspective. So make sure you check out his work at, at Trigger. And for at the King Bean on Twitter, at Joey Parisi on Twitter, I'm at Vinny Parisi on Twitter. As always, thank you for listening.